This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, good morning. It is three past nine here on SENZ. Uh, thanks to Bryant, your local John Deere equipment supplier, Ricardo. And for Smithy, once again, uh, he will be back for you in the new year. Coming up on the show shortly, we'll catch up with Dwayne DeLocca, football commentator out of South Africa, uh, about the FIFA World Cup quarterfinals. Also about uh, Samuel Eto and how he's been getting himself in trouble and uh, what Morocco been in the quarterfinals means for African football. We'll talk all of that shortly. We'll take your calls after 9.30 as well. Your chance to win that Charmate Colt 48 smoker and barbecue thanks to Abe Living by being the uh, caller of the month. We'll have Mike Angove out of the UFC Performance Institute in Shanghai. He is their head striking coach. He'll be on to talk UFC 282 this weekend. We've got a panel, Daniel McCarty, Hamish Bidwell will be on that for us. We'll talk World Cup cricket, the rugby awards, and um, a few other things as well. After 11, Jeff McTainch, Sky Sport rugby commentator, joins us. We'll talk those rugby awards and get his highlights from the year as well. We'll chat some greyhounds with Craig Rail, the, uh, the commentator as well, and have uh, give you an opportunity to win $50 TAB bonus bet with Stumped, plus Greg O'Connor, on Harness Racing, all of that between now and midday. Joining me is uh, one of the leading football commentators out of Africa, uh, Dwayne DeLocker. Uh, hello to you, sir. How are you? Oh, Ricardo, I'm great, thank you. How are you? Great to chat to you again. Yeah, it's been a long time, my friend. It's been a long time. It's uh, it's good to chat. I know you've you've relocated. Uh, we're no longer talking to you out of South Africa. We're talking to you out of Europe now. But uh, it's great to reconnect. And I I know you've been all eyes on on the uh, the World Cup. And I know your passion for African football. Uh, you've been there. You've called the Afcons. You've called the African Champions League. You've called it all. And it must be very pleasing for you, even though they're not South Africa. Uh, but for Morocco to be the fourth country out of your continent to make the uh, quarterfinals of a World Cup. Yeah, huge pride about that. I think uh, a f- phenomenal achievement from this Moroccan outfit. Uh, I don't think it's a fluke that they managed to overcome Spain, albeit on penalties, to advance to the final eight of the tournament. But uh, what what an achievement it is. I mean, we're talking about the final eight of the world's most prestigious football tournament and Morocco are there. But it's it's a deliberate plan that this country has had for years now. They they got themselves into a position in 2009 where they sat down and said, we need to start making making a little more of our football. And they put together a plan that saw them launch everything from two women's professional leagues right the way through to upgrading facilities for clubs and having a national setup in uh, in in Rabat, the, the capital city. What a remarkable academy and indeed practice facilities they have at the Mohammed VI complex. And and all these things are starting to bear fruit now. I mean, Widad Casablanca are the reigning African champions in the men's game. Uh, Royal Armed Forces are the reigning African champions in the women's game. Morocco's women's team have qualified for the FIFA Women's World Cup for the first time. 
Um, even the five-a-side football in in at the Paralympic Games ended up meddling the last time around with the bronze medal for the first time in history. So what I'm saying is there's been a very deliberate attempt from Morocco to get themselves into a position where they can compete and be among the best in the world. Their world ranking has been steadily rising. They're just outside the world's top 20. And now they find themselves into the final eight and up against some tough competition in uh, in uh, Portugal in the quarterfinals. But I tell you, I think the side has got a lot of confidence behind them. It's five games now in succession across World Cups that they have gone unbeaten and four in this game, in this tournament. And they've never trailed in this tournament. They've only conceded one goal and that was an own goal against Canada after they were already two goals in front. I think it's been a remarkable performance. And Wally Dragagri, I know I'm carrying on a little bit about Morocco here. You could potentially uh, hear the excitement. But Wally Dragagri, this is a coach who was put in charge with less than 100 days to go to the World Cup. But somebody who had already won titles with Rabat, went over to Qatar, won title with Al Duhel, and then went on and won double Champions League and league honours with uh, Widad Casablanca. So he's Definitely somebody who is uh, well-primed to take over the national team. And the players trust him. And he has turned things around logistically for Morocco as well. He's allowed the families to come and stay with the team in the World Cup facilities in Qatar. And it's just allowed the players to relax. It's about understanding your players and managing them as individuals, not just as players. And look at the results. You can't argue with them. It's not only uh, Hakim Ziyech, who just about everybody talks about. It's the entire team from development players like Nayef Aguer, the defender, who's been one of the most outstanding players at this tournament. So absolute kudos to Morocco. Yeah, absolute kudos. I mean, you know, we know some of those names, you know, you you mentioned. I mean, Elias Chair has been tearing it up for QPR in the championship. He's been linked to, to Premier League clubs. You got Hakim Ziak. I know it's not going particularly well for him at Chelsea at the moment, but he's been linked to other clubs, AC Milan being one of them. Uh, probably the biggest star, and I don't know how often this happens, that the biggest star in a team is the right fullback. But, you know, um, Hakimi, who is at, at PSG, they, they have some great players. But as you mentioned, the coach... 100 days out, he takes over. And I know you're South African, and I know we're talking the round ball code, but it does have echoes of Rossi Erasmus, doesn't it? Yeah, I suppose it does. Uh, heir to the throne of Rossi Erasmus, heir to the throne in Walid Regagui. Yes, absolutely. I think you can draw comparisons between the, the rugby of South Africa there and indeed uh, Regagui. Regardless of whether or not they advance beyond the quarterfinal stage, it's it's just been a remarkable achievement. And he's, he's taken Morocco to absolute heights with very little time. And it's, as I say, logistically, he's he's just allowed them a lot more freedoms as players, and he's managed them so incredibly well as as individuals. Um, and different players need different things. So he hasn't just lumped everyone together, and I think that's part of the secret as well, is he genuinely is a man manager who's known to turn things around for teams. When he took over Rabat, they were nothing more than a mid-table team. Within a season, he had taken them to become champions in Morocco against some of the big clubs, the Rajas and the Widads of this world, and then took a, a, a Widad side that had a band full of egos and, uh, and, and turned it into a, a winning team once again, and not just a winning team in Morocco, a winning team in the Champions League on more than one occasion. So, yeah, ab- absolute remarkable uh, turnaround, but he's thoroughly deserving of the credit he's getting at the moment. And this is a Moroccan team, I think. I know it's Portugal, right? We saw what Portugal did to Switzerland. But I think you look at Morocco, 
and the way that they set up. They are a very hard team to break down. And and I don't think this is a blip. I mean, you look at those strong players that we talk about and they've got another World Cup in them. You know, uh, Hakimi will be 28 next World Cup. Ziyech will be 33 next World Cup. Elias Chair will be 29 next World Cup. I mean, we should see Morocco uh, in the US, shouldn't we, in 2026? Well, you'd like to think so. Um, you'd like to see the transition made from one uh, to another. I mean, what you want to do is you want to see like Nigeria in 94 and then subsequently following it up in 98, the way they did that. Uh, in terms of African pride, that is always r- remarkable. But uh, what we haven't seen is, is is any real follow-up outside of that from an African team perspective. Cameroon, Ghana, Senegal, they're all sides that have reached the, the, the quarterfinal stages, but they haven't really come close since uh, with, with, with their performances. And I think that's something that we'd really like to see is 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 the transition, keep it going and 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 keep the continuity going across a four year period or, or even even more than that. Um, but I think for Morocco, you, you just spot on. Yes, they've got a good blend of youth and experience, but there is plenty of youth that is being used by Walid Rigagri and that that, that back four uh, with uh, with Saez, Sagerd, uh, Mazraoui and Hakimi. I think I think could still be around for the next World Cup, and and that's that's where the strength lies. I mean, defensively they've been absolutely outstanding. Those those back four and goalkeeper Yassin Bonu uh, have been utterly remarkable in their performances so far. Yeah, and it, it did tickle me a little bit to see. I, don't know, I can't remember. I think it might have been Rodri from Spain saying they did nothing. They played no football. They sat in and they tried to just play us on the counter. It's like you look at the Spanish statistics from 120 minutes they had two shots it's like hang on glasses uh stones you know what are you doing yeah i mean they 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 didn't allow spain to play in many ways but you know you don't you don't need to play pretty football to win and football is about getting the result it's not about playing uh, a pretty football and i think that's something that morocco have made clear as well they can play very wide expansive uh, football but if you're about to take spain on playing a wide expansive high tempo game you're not going to win that game so tactically regardless got his uh, tactics absolutely spot on and i didn't think it was a, a, a dull affair to watch but uh, yes they stunned spain and and i think some of the the comments have been from a Spanish perspective, uh, a little unjust, but uh, but you can understand the, the heartache for Spain as well. I mean, they're, they're needing to find some excuses here because they lost to a side that put them to the sword and and defeated all their tactics. Yeah, a thousand penalties did them no good in practice, that's for sure, Dwayne. Um, <laughs> now, we should, I, I will ask you about quarterfinal predictions momentarily, but I wanted to ask you about Samuel Eto'o. One of the biggest stars in African football history. Uh, he is a, a senior figure with the Cameroonian FA. You know, he was a star at Barcelona. He was a star in Serie A. Uh, I've seen the footage. He assaulted a blogger outside the game after Brazil. I've watched the footage. My personal opinion, I probably would have kicked him in the face as well because the guy was definitely trying to provoke him, trying to get a reaction. But I'm not Samueletto, so you know I know he is. He has apologised for, for for what happened. But can you give us some background? Yeah. Why is this Algerian blogger telling Eto he's a cheat, he's corrupt, he's bribing referees? Uh, this goes back to to the World Cup qualifying matches between uh, Cameroon and Algeria, the second leg where Cameroon scored late, claimed a two one win, and found themselves booking their ticket to uh, to Qatar ahead of Algeria as a result of that late goal. And the referee at the centre is Bakari Gathama, who's regarded as, as one of the finest in, 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 on the continent and somebody who's who's at the World Cup. 
He's he's a very well respected individual, and FIFA waved away any any of the protests that Algeria made, and certainly uh, haven't agreed or have found any merit in the argument that Algeria put forward, saying that Cameroon cheated or had the referee on their side uh, in getting the result that they needed to qualify for the World Cup, and in Algeria, it has been a it's been a source of, of great disappointment and great anger because they feel that they were cheated out of a place in Qatar 2022. So to see the video and to see the the taunting going on and trying to get a reaction from the, the man who is a legend and now the, the, the Football Federation president in, in Cameroon, um, uh, was I surprised by his reaction? Yes, I was. Uh, he has come out and apologized, as you said, but um, he's not a violent man. I've spent so much time with uh, Samuel Eto over the years, and he is one of the nicest, friendliest, most down-to-earth individuals. But he is incredibly passionate about Cameroonian football, and I think it, it cut him to, to the core to hear this again. There is no basis that Cameroon were cheating or that the referee was cheating. It's a result that didn't go Algeria's way, and, and one of the things that I think many Cameroonians want to want to stop is this constant taunting to suggest that they are cheats, and they're not. Do you think this stung Algeria more because their near North African neighbours and rivals, Morocco and Tunisia, both qualified? It might have done. Um, I can't really say for sure on that, but but Algeria have an incredibly proud history of, of football. The other thing that you've got to remember is, until very recently, they were on an unbeaten run of nearly 40 matches Um which which ended very suddenly and very abruptly at the Africa Cup of Nations, where they were soundly thumped uh, by by a couple of sides and dumped out early in the competition. Um, this is a side that had so much hope of going to the World Cup because the team was on such a rampant run, had been impressing for the last three or four years. This is a side that almost felt they deserved to be there. But you could have the same argument with Egypt. Um, who went out on penalties to Senegal uh, in, in the qualifying rounds and lost to Senegal on penalties in the Africa Cup of Nations final as well. So did it sting? Did it hurt um, a little more that the neighbours qualified? I'm not entirely sure, but it definitely stung and hurt that they weren't there because of the weight of expectation on the shoulders of the the, uh, the Algerians. Yeah, well, I wish it was Samuel Leto all the best, and I hope that uh, you know the Qatari authorities look at the video before they make any judgment, uh, and that he is he, he is okay and uh, and can continue to enjoy the World Cup. Uh, I, I need to talk to you, uh, Dwayne, about quarterfinals. I mean, you know, we've talked yeah. about Morocco, and you look at you talk about the teams of the quarterfinals. We've got the Netherlands against Argentina. We've got England against France. We have Croatia. Last time they ran a World Cup, they were the finalists against the favourites, Brazil. And then Portugal, of course, the story Portuguese team with Morocco. There's one team that does stand out when you read out that list, isn't there? Well, for me, um, there, there are two teams that stand out. And the one is uh, Morocco for, uh, for for being the last Arab representative, the only African representative. But of course, uh, my, my heart is lying with Morocco. I can't lie. Um, uh, but 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 for me, uh, Brazil stands out as being as being the one to watch. This is a side that has perhaps underperformed in their performances, but the quality and potential that they possess, nobody can match. Nobody can match on the pitch. Putting in the performances, I think France is the team to to watch. France and England. When England clicked against Senegal, they looked formidable. 
But for the first 35 minutes of their round of 16 tie, they looked like they were under the cosh by a Senegal side that were missing some of their biggest stars. Cheikh Kouyate wasn't there. Sadio Mane wasn't there. Idrissa uh, Gay wasn't there. Uh, so is the England side that played in the first half going to pitch up against uh, France or is the England side that played in the second half going to pitch up against France? If it's if the latter is the case and Harry Kane comes to the game, and is involved in the uh, the game, I think it is going to be a very intense affair. And honestly, may the best team win between England and France. I'm really looking forward to that, though. But Brazil against Croatia, yeah, Croatia, never count them out. Absolutely never count them out. Per- uh, Perisic, uh, Brozovic, uh, 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 Modric, all these players are, are absolute winners in their own right. But you're up against a Brazilian side that is just too fleet of foot at the moment. And I think absolute quality. Um, the, the Portugal-Morocco one is is fascinating in the sense that Morocco have conceded one goal in four games and it was an own goal. And Portugal scored six goals in just their last game alone. And Gonzalo Ramos starting up front in place of Cristiano Ronaldo was benched for the first time in a major tournament since 2008. Uh, <laughs> Wow, who's going to come out on top in, in, in that game? That is going to be fascinating. And then Netherlands against Argentina. Both those teams capable of winning this World Cup. You can't argue that neither of them are, are not capable of winning the World Cup. Netherlands playing better potentially as a team. Argentina relying perhaps a little too much on Lionel Messi. But boy, has he come to the fore of this tournament and looking remarkable, even though he's in the twilight of his career. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Uh, Dwayne, this is how I see it. Let me know what you think. I mean, the, the Netherlands-Argentina is the game that I think is most likely to go to extra time and penalties. I, I would I would concur with that because I, I'm finding it very difficult to separate those sides at the moment, yes. Yes. Uh, England, I think they have a better midfield than France do, given that France don't, don't have N'Golo Kante or, or Paul Pogba, but they do have yeah. a guy called Mbappe who has reached 250 senior goals faster than either Messi or Ronaldo did and uh, is a generational talent. So I think France get the win there. Yeah, look, I think if you if you look at France, the way they've played on the whole and, and you look at the individual brilliance of somebody like Kylian Mbappe, as you say, and I apologise for the sound in the background. My son <laughs> has decided to break into the room. But uh, Kylian Mbappe, I mean, look, this guy scored uh, nine FIFA World Cup goals in, in only his second World Cup. He's got the potential to go to five. I mean, he's scored as many World Cup goals as Lionel Messi has in his entire career. And he's scored one more than Cristiano Ronaldo, who scored in five World Cups. And Mbappe is only in his second World Cup. Another seven goals in the next three World Cups, for example, and he'll be leading record scorer at, at World Cups in, in history. It's remarkable to think. Yes, we're putting too much pressure perhaps on one individual who's, who's still relatively young, but he's a World Cup winner. And France know what it takes to get to the World Cup final. They know what it takes to win. I think experience has shown in the round of 16, the teams that have been there and done it in major competitions largely have gotten through. And I think uh, again it might tell, but don't discount this England side. But I'm 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 with you on giving it to France in terms of edging edging England in this uh, quarterfinal tie. The Croatian midfield is probably the best at this World Cup, but they've done a lot of running. Uh, Brozovic, 16.8 kilometres against Japan, the most ever in a World Cup since they've been recording those statistics. Dwayne, yeah. uh, I I I think. If you want a smoky, Croatia to hold it to a draw at 90 minutes, but I think Brazil just have too much. And Neymar is a different player. I didn't used to like Neymar as a young player. Feels like he's really matured and he's really leading this team and it's not all about him. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think I think spot on there. But the one player that I think is key in in determining the the outcome of this game is, is going to be Casemiro. Casemiro in midfield has been absolutely superb in breaking down play, and I want to see how Croatia managed to get beyond Casemiro, who wins the ball, who drives play wide, who doesn't allow teams to cross into the Brazilian half. I mean, these are all attributes that that go on and help people win World Cups, help sides win World Cups. And it was uh, uh, Gilberto Silva played that role in 2002 when Brazil won the World Cup. And it was because Gilberto Silva was doing all the dirty work quietly. Uh, Nobody was able to really go beyond him. There was a freedom allowed to certain individuals like Ronaldo up front who who saw Brazil to success at this World Cup. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot of similarities for me between the 2002 squad and the 2022 squad when you look at the key men in key positions and for me Casemiro and 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 uh, uh, Gilberto Silva in many ways are playing a very similar role and yeah I I'm not sure Croatia is going to be able to deal with with Casemiro plus the attacking flair and talent of, of Brazil combined. My, lastly, and I know I I don't want to hurt your feelings, Dwayne, because I know you're a proud African and you want to see Morocco <laughs> go as far as they can. But it, it felt to me after extra time penalties, maybe Morocco have played the World Cup and we've seen Portugal find a new level without Cristiano Ronaldo on the pitch. I just think they'll have too much. Well, this is an interesting one because which Portugal is going to pitch up? Is this the Portugal that's the, the battles to score goals and, and, and struggles to score goals in, in the... Uh, in the uh, the European Championship, for example, or, or the one that scores six against Switzerland. Um, I don't believe that Morocco is going to play the type of game that will allow Portugal that much freedom and space and opportunity to score as they did against Switzerland, who are happy to take on the Portuguese, and I think foolishly so. Uh, I think we're going to see a different result. I think it's going to be a, a very tight uh, affair uh, Yes, if if I take my heart out of this and I look at it off the top of my head, maybe Morocco has gone as far as they can go, but I still think they're in with a chance. Uh, they've they've got a couple of goal scorers who can come in and make things happen. And I think Nesri wants to get on on the score sheet again. Um, Amrabat and Bufal have been astonishingly good, as has the defence and Yassin Bono. The other thing is Regagni is not going to allow the players to celebrate. They can celebrate the victory and and then they, they're back to the drawing board. They're back to the serious business. I don't think they celebrate the wins the way that other teams might, having reached a, a climax or something. But whatever the result, um, I don't think it's going to be anything close to a, a, six, a six one type of uh, type of affair. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be fairly fairly close knit between these two sides. Yeah, 100% agree, uh, and and I look forward to it. The uh, quarterfinals are intriguing indeed. Dwayne DeLocker, thank you very much for your time, my friend. Go well, and uh, lovely catching up with you. Ricardo, it's been great to chat to you again. Thank you. 
It's just gone 9.30 here on SCNZ. A reminder too, uh, all the FIFA World Cup games are live here on SCNZ or on the app. So download the app. You can check out the quarterfinal between Croatia and Brazil at 4 o'clock tomorrow morning. And then the uh, the Netherlands uh, versus Argentina, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. So get amongst those on the SCNZ app. Coming up in the rest of the hour, we're going to be taking your calls. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Who have you got? in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. If you've got any questions on that, through, uh, throw those through. You can do that on 0800 150 or double eight double three. What about the mess uh, that is Australian cricket at the moment? Boy, they have resurrected Sandpaper Gate and uh, they're just doing it to themselves. Uh, as Radiohead once said, you do it to yourself, you do, and that's what really hurts. Um, so get your thoughts on that and some of the debacle that that is, uh, some of the t- stories coming out there. James Erskine, the uh, manager of David Warner, basically saying that Cricket Australia officials told the players to tamper with the ball. We'll get your take on all of that. 0800 150 SCNZ's Caller of the Month is going to win themselves a Charmate Colt 48 Smoker and Barbecue thanks to Ava Living too. So every reason to get involved and jump on the phone. Here's the latest in news and sport for you with Araha. 25 away from 10. Yeah, time for your calls. 0800 150 As I mentioned earlier, SENZ's Caller of the Month will win themselves a Charmate Colt 48 Smoker and Barbecue thanks to Aber Living. So jump on the blower, give us a bell. What do you want to talk? Do you want to talk the World Cup, the FIFA World Cup? We're at the point of year now, aren't we? Uh, we have eight teams left. We've got two games tomorrow morning, two games Sunday morning, and then it'll be down to four. Who do you like? Who has caught your attention? Who do you think is going to go all the way? Let us know. 0800 150 What about Cricket Australia? Uh, we talked a little bit about David Warner yesterday throwing his toys out the cot saying that he didn't want to have a public hearing about whether or not he should uh, be eligible to captain his team again. And after getting a lifetime ban from captaincy because of Sandpaper Gate, well, they've just opened a massive can of worms now. Uh, it's all being relived now in the press. Uh, maybe they do need to have... Uh, one of those, uh, one, of, one of those public hearings, uh, not just about David Warner, but about the people running Cricket Australia. I mean, uh, James Erskine, J- David Warner's manager, saying uh, that Cricket Australia officials told the team to tamper with the ball after they had lost a test, a test series against South Africa in 2016. They told them do whatever it takes. So, where? Uh, have they got fit leadership at Cricket Australia? I mean, we've had conversations in the last little while. Uh, Ken Rutherford was one of them, saying that you know people in Australia have fallen out of love with their cricket team because they're just unlikable. The guys in the team are unlikable. Maybe that goes all the way to the top. Keen to get your thoughts on that. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. There's a guy that works for SEN uh, out of Australia who's been here um, over the last week, a guy called Chappie, uh, and Chappie is a big cricket fan. Now, this is a guy who is a dyed-in-the-wool Australian cricket fan, right? He plays cricket every weekend. He's got a team that he plays with. He is also a member of the, uh, of the MCG. Uh, as a member of the MCG, you can rock up and go to any game, any time, any time you want, right? He hasn't been to watch the Australian cricket team in seven years because he's just lost interest in them because of their behaviour. Uh, what does that say? I mean, this guy's a really passionate cricket fan too. He said he'd rather watch 
Uh, in fact, he does. He, he follows the Pakistani team and the Indian team more than he follows the Australian team. He thinks they're better to watch, play better cricket, and there's less baggage, less drama. Uh, so that, I thought, was interesting, um, coming from a bloke who uh, works for us as an Australian and plays cricket every weekend and absolutely loves the sport but does not love the Australian national team. So keen to get your thoughts on that. 0800 150811. 0800 150811. Or you can, if you like, uh, flick us a text if you're busy running around and uh, you don't have time for the call, then you can flick us a text through on 8833. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine. Temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. A couple of texts have uh, rolled in through already on 8833. Mark, well done, Ricardo. You've just identified yourself as a man of impeccable taste with that Radiohead quote. Uh, thanks, Mark. I hope you have a great day in Christchurch, mate. Uh, we have also uh, had one come through here saying, Ricardo, with games coming into the semis, who has the best penalty-taking side? Or is that part of the football lottery? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say that, Sean. I mean, I think you have to just go on what you've seen recently, right? And what have we seen recently? We saw Croatia uh, take three penalties, score three penalties against Japan. So you'd have to say that they're up there. And the Moroccans have done the same against the Spanish, uh, although they did miss one. So, But you'd have to say probably what we've proven so far, what we know is that uh, the, the uh, Croatians are very good. But uh, to be honest, that Brazilian side, there's a lot of talent there. I, I wouldn't think they'd be missing too many penalties either. But it's a great call, Sean. It's a, it's a really interesting question, uh, that one, on uh, who the best penalty-taking side is. I think we can all agree it's probably not going to be England. Um, just because of their history with penalties. Um, maybe that's unfair. Sofian Amrabat is uh, one of the best midfielders at this World Cup. That one from Chris. Yeah, he's gone really well for the Moroccans. Uh, keep your texts rolling through, double eight, double three. Logan, um, you follow ice hockey a lot more uh, than I do, and ice hockey tends to have penalty shootouts like football does. Are there teams where you go, if this team is in a penalty shootout, they're definitely going to win because they tend to execute better than other teams? Uh, yeah, I guess kind of was like my stance the other day. I know it was yesterday. I'm losing track of the week. Uh, yes, because, I mean, with the talent that might be on show, whether it's a goalie who's really good in the penalty shootout or there might be just kind of like a real, you know, top superstar of the game that kind of, you know, they've got the moves. There's some players that are just kind of known to be really good at shootouts. I mean, TJ Oshie has kind of been famous for doing it for uh, Team USA when when called upon. But I think a lot like, I'm not sure who it was we had on the other day. Uh, actually, it might have been Jacob Spoonley talking about, um, you know, shootouts. And goalies, goalkeepers clearly do their homework, right? Yep. We saw that with Morocco. And it will be the same thing uh, in the NHL as well. Those goalies will do their homework. What kind of moves do people go for? You know, and it'll be the same in football. Do they favor a certain side? And I got the feeling with Morocco's performance there, they really did their homework because most of those kicks uh, <laughs> were read perfectly. Uh, so I'm, out of the teams that are still in the FIFA World Cup, is there a, is there a team there, what, a goalie who is really doing their homework? And you would like to think perhaps England might be doing a little bit of extra homework there just yeah, to maybe. You know, break well, a bit of hoodoo? Well, I talked to Ruben Parkey yesterday, the new goalkeeping coach for the Phoenix. Mm. And I said to him, 
you know, Golden Glove is a is a uh, an award they give out, right, for the best keeper at the tournament. And we often talk, don't tend to talk about that so much, Logan. You know, we talk about Golden Ball for best player or Golden mm. Boot for highest scorer. Don't often talk about best keeper at the tournament. And he said Pickford first off, which interests me. Um, oh, yeah. uh, I thought uh, I thought well, it's an interesting call, but he thinks yeah, Pickford, Chesney, the Polish keeper. Obviously, they're no longer in it, but he said he's had a good World Cup. And then uh, Allison, the Brazilian keeper. Um, so those were his top three. And then we talked penalty shootouts. You know, Litkovic, the Croatian keeper, and Bono, the Moroccan keeper. And he's like, you know, that that's just mentally tough. Mentally tough. Yeah, to be, what is, I mean, what is it with that? Like, to be fair, we we love goal scorers, no matter, like, what sport it is where you're scoring a goal. But, man, I, I do love a good goalie. Like, I just, I have a lot of respect for that position because you can be really hung out to dry. Yeah. And sometimes you can just really come through and steal a game. Totally. And there's no, not no pressure on the goalkeeper. That's unfair. I would say, though, that the expectation is on the guy taking the penalty, not on the goalkeeper to save it, right? Um, so, yeah, I think that's interesting. And there have been some very good goalkeepers. I mean, mentioned it yesterday with Ruben, too. Andrew Redmayne, the uh, Aussie keeper who, you know, was the hero of the penalty shootout. The grey um, wiggle. Yeah, against um, Peru uh, that got Australia to the World Cup. Uh, not only was he great in terms of dancing on the line and trying to put the uh, Peruvians off and you know saving penalties, uh, but the Peruvian keeper had his water bottle, and on the side of the water bottle, he had all his notes for the Australian penalty takers. He saw that when the Peruvian keeper went in goal to save a pen, he just grabbed the bottle and threw it into the crowd, so he no longer had his notes. To be fair, I would have done the exact same thing. Oh, that, is, that is superb. That is, su- that, that is <laughs> That's a like going into a way. science test, right, and having the answers like on your arm or something. Like, yeah. Exactly. Come on. Exactly. So, no, that was a great piece of uh, work from Andrew Redman. So, yeah, I hope Sean that has answered a few of those questions for you. Uh, a couple more texts have uh, rolled in on double eight, double three. Those cheating Aussies should never be allowed to play again from Marshy of the Hawks Bay. Uh, yeah, well, Marshy, there might be some... some um, ICC might be interested in this, mightn't they? If they're saying it's Cricket Australia have been uh, informing their players to do this, if they can prove that, boy, the ICC might have something to say about the uh, administration of Australian cricket. Uh, This one, no name on it has come through. I thought the rugby awards on Sky last night was the worst, I think, I've seen. Are the rugby union cost-cutting, or they just don't care about the awards? Um, I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know who pays for the awards. Do the rugby union pay for the awards or does Sky pay for the awards? Because they're showing it. That's a great question. I don't know. We will find out for you, though. Um, I, to be honest, I haven't watched it. I just uh, I just read the uh, read the results of the awards. I didn't actually watch the show because we had our Christmas due last night. So uh, that's 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 my excuse anyway. But, uh, yeah, we will try and find out that for you. Uh, Ricardo, I have been to every Ashes series in Australia since 2009. I have flights and accommodation for the Ashes test at Lords in June 2023. But can't get a ticket. Have gone into the ballot, but have little chance. Uh, the test is sold out, Stephen. Well, good luck, Stephen. I hope that comes through for you, mate. Because if you're going to be there, you might as well go, right? Uh, otherwise, what are you going to do? Just go and watch it in a pub uh, down the road from the ground. Yeah, but if you do that, mm-hmm. the Aussie team might show up afterwards, as they did uh, after the Perth test. Well, that is true. That is true. Because I mean, you know, like you say, they're in a huge PR crisis right now. Yet again. You had, you know, clearly not a lot of interest there in Perth for that first test. They rock up to a bar, uh, kind of surpri- surprised the locals and the fans that were there, which is nice. It was a nice move, kind of you know, get in amongst the people mm. um, and try to be likable and 
in that sort of sense because, I mean, that's the other thing, right, is they don't really have the profile that they definitely once had or the characters that they once had. So that's probably a big thing there as well. There's not a lot of attachment with that team. And then now, yeah, you're bringing back up the Sandpaper Gate and all that that comes with it. Even just PR disaster after PR disaster. Um, It's like... They're almost taking something from the uh, NZR playbook. <laughs> uh, well said. Well said. 14 away from 10 here on SENZ. We'll have a TAB multi for you next. You got to know when the holder. Know when the folder. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. All right, time for our uh, Team Multi. We do it on a Friday, Team Multi. Everybody has a leg, and we'll see how we go. Uh, My leg first, Logan. I'm going to give you this one. Uh, For England-France at the World Cup, uh, TAB have actually got a boosted option here. Um, Killian Mbappe to score in France to win. It was at 390. They've boosted it to 450. Uh, I can see that happening. I like that. I've got France to win that game. I think Mbappe is a generational talent. He's a difference maker. And uh, I think he will win this game for France. So I'm taking that at 450. I like it. Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, Mbappe, incredible, incredible talent, like you say. And a very fun name to say, too. Mbappe. Yeah, it's like a uh, Hanson song, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're not going there. All right, uh, so then you're rounding out this this multi (laughs) because you're the last... The last leg. The last leg, the last event of it. Yeah. Uh, I'm starting it off with a bit of uh, NHL. You went against my Maple Leafs the other day, and, well, I mean, it wasn't the first thing to wreck your multi, but, multi, but it was one of them. <laughs> um, I'm going with the uh, Maple Leafs. They're playing the uh, LA Kings today. They've got uh, Jonathan Quick starting in goal, who's been a bit of a sieve. So I've got the Leafs uh, with a minus 1.5 goal start, and that's paying $2.25. And Robbie, what do you have on yours? We, uh, we're going to the NBA. Yeah. And uh, also against the LA side. Mm-hmm. We're going the, the, I think the Heat are going to be too much for the Clippers. Um, so we're going just a nice $2 shot, Miami Heat, minus 7.5. Yeah, nice. I like it. The Clippers yesterday uh, had to go to overtime against the Magic, who were only 5-20, and 20, and they lost it as well. So they might be a bit leaky, so I don't mind that. I think it's quite a good option. Yep. Yeah, and round that all out, uh, wow, it's going to pay. Well, the odds are $20.25. So Get on, take that to the bank. That is, uh, could be a big weekend. Could be a big weekend. Yeah, could be. Could. I oh, love it. Love it. There's, uh, there's our TAB multi, our team multi for you for the weekend. Uh, get on it. Hope that comes in for you and fills the beer fridge. It is seven away from 10. Coming up to 10 o'clock here on Mornings with Ian Smith. On the way for you, we're going to be talking to Mike Angove shortly. Uh, he is a UFC um, strike coach at the uh, Performance Centre in Shanghai, the Performance Institute of Shanghai. So we'll get his take on Jan Blahovic versus um, Ankalaev. That is uh, the headline fight at UFC 282. We'll also see what he thinks of Paddy Pimlet and Jared Gordon and a few other fights on that card. Actually, one of the best prelim cards you'll have seen. There's a headline fight on there that a few years ago would have been on the pay-per-view. So uh, that's one to have a look at. Uh, We'll also have a panel with Hamish Bidwell and Daniel McCarty for you as well. We'll be talking FIFA World Cup cricket, New Zealand rugby and the breakers as well. Craig Rail, the Greyhound commentator, is going to join us after 11. So is Jeff McTainch, the Sky Sport rugby commentator. We'll talk those 
Big Rugby Awards from last night. There's a $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs with Stumped as well. Greg O'Connor is going to join us. Uh, we're going to be talking harness racing with him. And then we'll catch up with Staff before he takes over with his Midday Madness to find out what is coming up on the show. So all of that is heading your way between now and midday. And we'll make sure we uh, keep it all up to date for you with the latest in news and sport right now. Here is Aroha Hathaway. ZCNZ, it is uh, four past ten on your Friday morning. Welcome to the weekend, or nearly welcome to the weekend at least. And uh, we have a whole bunch coming your way between now and midday, including uh, chats with some of the uh, top players in both Greyhounds and Harness Racing. We're going to be talking Rugby Awards with Jeff McTainch as well. We've got a panel coming with Hamish Bidwell and Daniel McCarty too. But right now it is time to talk UFC because uh, UFC 282 is on this weekend. And Mike Angove, the head striking coach for UFC Performance Institute Shanghai, joins us. G'day, Mike. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Waiting for an Uber and Auckland. Yeah, whereabouts are you heading to, mate? <laughs> Just into the gym, right? <laughs> Just into it never stops, mate. It never stops. Hey, uh, let's let's talk this weekend. UFC 282. Uh, Jan Bukovic up against uh, uh, Magomed Ankalaev. I mean, this is a this is a great matchup, but it does feel like um, you know Ankalaev here is a, is the heavy favourite just because of that movement, his footwork, and the way he controls fights. Yeah, well, look, it feels like passing of the torch, really. Uh, obviously, uh, Glover narrowly lost to uh, Jerry Pahoska um, in a fight he was winning, um, which led to this might not be able to, to take place um, with, with the injuries to Pahoska. Um, so, you know, then we go Jan, the former champ. Uh, he's a very good striker, decent, uh, decent grappling, um, but not... Absolutely world-class grappling uh, against Ankalaev, who is a very, very sharp striker. He's very aggressive. He picks his shots well, um, and he can move, and he's defensively sound. So the question is really, can Jan's striking uh, match up with the, the aggression and the, and the, and the speed of Ankalaev? Uh, thus far, we haven't seen that happen uh, in terms of people who've matched up with Ankalaev. He's very, very strong uh, across the board. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's an interesting fight. Blahovic, uh has good power. Ankalaev has a decent chin. Uh, you know, Blahovic has some things he, he does very, very well. He, he's very left-hand left dominant. Uh, Ankalaev has got a, got a variety. But, um, but you know, as we said, um, it, it's a fascinating matchup. We get to see whether Ankalaev is ready to take that first step up. Yeah, it's going to be a real test for him because, I mean, the one thing that Jan Blahovic does have that Ankalaev doesn't have is one-punch knockout power, right? Yeah, but, you know, uh, he, he certainly has the one-punch knockout power, power but Ankalaev's finished a lot of fighters. He's, he's decent, you know. Um, he may not have single-shot devastating power, but he's going to hurt you with every shot that he throws. Mm. So that's, that's something we, we have to keep very much in mind. I mean, if you're Blahovic, I, I look at this and, you know, because of the, you mentioned the footwork and the movement of Ankalaev, I, I kind of think, well, you don't necessarily want to grapple Ankalaev. You do want to try and push him to the cage and try and keep him up against the cage as much as you can. I mean, if you were coaching a yarn, what would you be telling him in this fight? Well, they're both going to feel each other out on the feet first. Uh, 
Jan's going to see whether his, uh, you know, very solid defensive game, his good distance management, his decent jab, can mitigate the, the, the speed and variety of, of Uncle Ian. Obviously, working against the fence, um, you know, there's an option there uh, to see whether he's going to use his weight. But again, Uncle Ayev, although he is a striker, um, you know, he's a, he's a decent wrestler. And, and a lot of the, the Russian um, and, and the Eastern Bloc countries in particular, uh, they're very solid against the fence. They're very good at reversals. They're very good at any locks, etc. So, you know, that, that will be interesting to see how he fares if he goes down that road. Uh, I think both of them are naturally strikers, so that's where we're going to see the, the first adaption. Uh, who starts to get on top there will lead to, you know, uh, the, the first adjustment in, in the fight, if you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Uh, I mean, the uh, the punters love Ankolaev. Uh, what chance do you give Blahovic of maybe, you know, one-shotting him and, and, and getting a W here? Um Oh, you got to give Bohovic a lot of chance. He knows it's last chance to learn, so there'll be a sense of desperation there. Um, you know, this is his, his second opportunity at a title. He was always the underdog. He's used to being the underdog, and I think he, he thrives in, in that environment um, and in that context. So, you know, I'd give him more than a decent chance. He's a former UFC champion. He's dealt with the speed of Israel Adesanya. Um, you know, who, who's a varied striker. So that gives you an idea. He does have the ability to control distance and length and timing with someone who's quicker than him. Um, you know, so we, we've got to remember it, it's not just, um, you know, Jan's a slow old man. He's still dangerous. Uh, in the heavyweights, you, you peak later in age. He, he's not as old as Glover. Um, you know, he's still very strong. So I think we, we've got to factor in those things when, when we start considering. What it really is, is this, is this too big a step for Uncle Iev to make at this point, or is it is it really his time? And for a long time, he, he and Prohoska have been seen as the, the heir apparent in the light heavyweight division. And, uh, you know, this is a step he would have had to make, really, regardless of whether, it was, whether or not it was a title fight. He was due this kind of step-up fight. So it would have been a Jan Blahovic, or it would have been a Glover Teixeira in any case. And um, so, so now we're going to see it in a title context. Mm, yeah, looking forward to uh, to that as the headline fight at UFC 282. Of course, the uh, the, the other uh, main event on the card is uh, it's it's quite funny to look at. But obviously, Dana White uh, sees Paddy Pimlet as uh, a guy who is box office, much like Conor McGregor, uh, because even though he's unranked, he's only in his fourth fight against Jared Gordon in the UFC. Um, you know, he is on that main card. He is right at the pointy end of it as well. I mean, uh, the fight against Jared Gordon looks pretty well matched too. These these are two guys who have quite similar records and uh, quite similar approaches. Yeah, um, you know, again, matchmakers can determine the outcome of fights in many cases. Um, so what uh, I'm looking at here is to see an improvement in Paddy Pimlet's uh, striking. He's, he's an aggressive striker, but without the defensive responsibility. He's got a decent chin, but that will cost him against better guys. Uh, you know, Burroughs is also a grappler. Pimlet's uh, got a very good grappling game. Um, so, you know, we, we will see how that shapes out. But, but clearly, um, I, I think it's well matched. Um, I think Pimlet's probably uh, an edge in terms of favourite. And... You know, it's giving him an opportunity at the top of the gate 
to see if he can you know, continue to be the entertainer and continue on, on his run in the UFC. Because um, clearly, you know, people love him. Um, and, and obviously, also, we've got to remember UK is becoming a big market, so you need a couple of rock stars to put on the card uh, when they head back to the UK. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because there's a guy that is on the main card who I feel is almost at last chance saloon with the UFC, and that's Darren Till. He's lost four of his last five fights. And uh, Drickus Duplessis is, is coming the other way, young South African fighter. He's had a uh, performance of the night already. He's only had three fights in the UFC. He's won all three. Um, this is a dangerous fight for Darren Till. Yeah, but every fight for every fight at the level of Darren Till is dangerous. Um, yeah, I wouldn't underestimate Darren. Uh, Duplessis, to be honest, I haven't spent a huge amount of time studying him. But, uh, you know, Till, he's entertaining. He's had a couple of fights that were very close. You know, you, you've got to remember he dropped Whitaker and, and Whitaker pushed Israel close. Um, you know, and that was a fight that was uh, that was basically determined in the final round by a takedown. Um, you know, so we, we've got to remember that, that Till is still very dangerous. We remember him being knocked out by Masvidal, but we forget that, uh, you know, he, he smashed him early in that fight. Um, you know, so look, Till is dangerous. He's, he's a very, very good striker. I'm fascinated to see what he's been doing with, uh, you know, with the Chechnyan, um, you know, the, 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 the Smash brothers. Um, so, you know, I assume if he's been working with Hamzat and just hasn't been going out to the club and getting on the cast, I assume he'll, he'll be trying to add to his game because we all know what Till's weakness has been. It's been in his, in his, in his takedown and his grappling work. So, you know, let's, uh, let's have a look at that. Let's see how he's developed. I think it's... His striking would serve him well in this fight. Duplessis can't really afford to make a mistake. Uh, what I'll be interested to see is if uh, Duplessis chooses to go the wrestling route and uh, whether or not... Oh, sorry, mate, we just had a truck driver who's blind pull in front of us. We had to pause for a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how Till's grappling has improved because I think that's the key facet in this game. Yeah, indeed. All right, mate. I look forward to that one. And then uh, there's a fight that's actually on the early prelim card, which is amazing for me because Alexander Hernandez not long ago was a main card guy. He's fighting Billy Quarantillo. And this, I think, is going to be a really interesting fight. Uh, If I was a a man to look at stats, I would say that uh, this is just about nailed on for Alexander the Great because he goes win-loss, 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 win-loss the last eight fights. And so he's due a win, right? That's how it works. Yeah, well, you know, they've they matched that up for, for, for a reason. I've, I've got to be honest, I haven't looked at his opponent much. Um, he's still a very capable fighter, and, and you have to look at who he's fought and who he's lost against. He is a decent-level fighter who, unfortunately, due to his record, um, is, is now become a journeyman, if you like. And uh, that's, that's essentially what, what, where we will see on, with this fight. Is he good enough to deal with a, with a, you know, with a, with a younger guy up and coming? Yeah, it is going to be interesting. I mean, um, Quarantillo lost his last fight at UFC 268 uh, by decision, but before that, it had been had been pretty good. He's uh, I think he's had three knockout wins, four knockout wins in the UFC as well, and was a contender for fight of the year. So that that is going to be one to watch. I'm just surprised it is uh, where it is on the card. Hey, Mike, I know you're just about at the gym, uh, but before we let you go, uh, Perth March next year is that really the focus for CKB at the moment? Yeah, of, of course. You know, there, there won't be a lot of um, 
Christmas pudding being eaten by some of the fighters on the card. So that, you know, that's going to be a, crit- a critical element. Um, you know, and it's probably likely to have more Kiwis on that card as well, uh, you know, as we... Um, uh, as the, the next sort of month or so develops, uh, you know, we've certainly got guys who, who we've got on notice for, for that card. Yeah, mate. All right. We look forward to that card. Uh, and I guess that that'll have to be on the coaches to eat all the uh, the, the fighters share a Christmas pud then, will it? Is that how it works? Yeah, well, you know, um, coaches uh, have sacrificed enough in their career and, and then we have to put up with fighters day in, day out. So, yeah. <laughs> Every now and then, um, I guess it's okay to eat a bit of Christmas pudding. Yeah, good stuff, Mike. Hey, mate, really appreciate your time. Go well, have a good day, and uh, enjoy your Christmas if we don't catch up beforehand. Yeah, cheers, mate. No worries. Thank you. Mike Angover with us, talking UFC 282 on Sunday uh, afternoon. Looking forward to that one. It is 10.17. We're back with the panel next. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. And joining us on the panel this morning out of the Hawke's Bay, uh, the sunny Hawke's Bay, Hamish Bidwell. How are you, Hamish? It's grey, mate, which is good because I've got to go and cover some cricket tonight and I don't really want to. I'd rather have a beer, so look, <laughs> I could get fish. <laughs> I was going to say next Wednesday you've got a uh, an ODI there. What's the, the We know what's going to happen on Wednesday, don't we, in Napier? Oh, you put me on the spot. Who's playing? Uh, the White Ferns in Bangladesh. Yeah, I think I'll give that a miss. I have no idea what the weather's doing, and good luck to them. Yeah. <laughs> good luck to them indeed. Also joining us out of the capital, Daniel McCarty. G'day, mate. How are you? Morning, Rick Dog. Good to speak to you, and bitter that it's been too long. Far too. Far too long. I tell you, boys, I had a, I had a multi the other day. You, uh, you won't believe this. First league of the multi. Uh, I, I know you're both Wellington fans. Uh, or Wellington originally, uh, and I had your Firebirds up against Canterbury. I had Rutch and Ravindra off the back of his century uh, last game out to be top scorer. And uh, he went out for 14. He was the first wicket down. And then you were, and I was like, oh, that's me toast. Uh, but but then the mighty Firebirds collapsed, and uh, at the end of the day, Rutch and Ravindra was the top scorer for Wellington on, on, on 14 runs. I was, I was still alive. <laughs> that is magnificent. But, but is this... Fitters have uh, covered a few Wellington collapses over the years. Um, uh, we're quite used to them in these parts. Yes, indeed. Uh, gentlemen, well, I was told I used to cause them because I was such a negative bastard. I think that's absolutely <laughs> over, <laughs> overstated. I'll, I'll ask Grant on Saturday, Hamish, shall I? You know the answer. Oh, please don't, because I know his answer, but cheers. Yeah, oh, boys, uh, too good, too good. Hey, uh, how much of a cell phone uh, have Cricket Australia created? Around this David Warner situation, like you know, they, I, my initial reaction was when David Warner threw his toys out because they wanted to have a a, a public hearing on it. That I was like, well, how guilty are you, and what else don't we know? Uh, but now I, I think we're starting to find out some of the things we didn't know, like uh, claiming that Cricket Australia uh, administrators were telling the team to do ball temper and do whatever it takes to win Hamish. I think we knew that. Um... I can remember an Ashes test in Perth where they got it to go reverse after 30 overs. and Stuart Broad was going, well, how are they achieving that? Like, the reverse swing bowling since the sandpaper thing has basically left the game. And it's left the game because we're not allowing people to cheat, as Warner was cheating. And everyone knows it. And it was an orchestrated campaign and tactic. And the bowlers would go, oh, I don't know. I just, they just handed me the ball. I don't know anything about it. And 
So there's a few strands to that. So like, let's be fair, there was ball tampering and if they want to expose that, then great. I don't doubt they had the stomach for it. The other part is the Warners themselves, they were the greatest cry bullies going. Like, he's lucky to be playing international cricket at all, let alone in his own mind be considered to be the captain of Australia. That's laughable. And I don't want to hear from him and I don't want to hear from his wife. And if his manager wants to pipe up and, and throw a few stones, then chuck all the stones. Do you know what I mean? Be a man and, and tell it. Don't, don't, don't make us cry river on David's behalf because he's the most unsympathetic character I can imagine. And, you know, if we want to be fair income, cool. Do bull tampering, but I don't want to hear from the Warners. No, I, I'm with you on that. I I got uh, that impression of them after the Phil Hughes incident, uh, Daniel, when Phil Hughes passed away and he, I don't know how much money he made, all the, all the Warners made, selling that story to 60 Minutes where he cried on camera for about an hour uh, and talked about how horrible and terrible it was. And then the very next series, he's telling people, session one, I'm going to break your arm. Um, oh, I had no time for the bloke after after that. What's your experience been? Threatened to break someone's arm? Well, I think he was, uh, Warner was vice captain and at the heart of all of it though, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be the descending voice here. What, what, what did David Warner do wrong in the eyes of the ICC? They, they ball tampered, right? Yep. Um, I don't think anyone can argue that. Um, the absolute laughable um, attempted cover-up in the immediate aftermath is pathetic and probably exacerbated matters. But does the punishment really fit the crime? Um, the ICC's match suspensions for uh, ball tampering at the time for a, were a couple of games. In all honesty, should someone receive a life ban for something of that? That's something I've always struggled with. I just don't like the idea of life bans as a rule. Uh, Steve Smith's a great example. He was in the wilderness. He was able to, to, through acts of contrition, to work his way back into that realm. Now, has David Warner done enough of that? That I think we can question. Um, is he the right man for the job at 36 years of age? I, I think that is a, a, a point we can argue. But it doesn't sit overly comfortably with me banning a guy from for life, essentially, for something that is pretty widespread and, according to the rules of the game, uh, doesn't come more than a, a couple of weeks ban. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, they're not banning him from cricket. They're just banning him from being the captain. I, and I don't have an issue with that because a lot of the, uh, the a lot that came out of uh, that on top of not only the ball tampering was how much of a bully in the dressing room David Warner was. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair, and, and um, uh, that that could that could certainly be played out in a um, a suspension more like Steve Smith, I'll repeat, who was only banned for a couple of years before being welcomed back in. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I have little sympathy though uh, for them overall. Um, as Hamish did point out, how on earth did others not go down with the ship? Uh, is just just big as belief. What, you're going to tamper a ball and not tell the bowlers? Um, <laughs> I, I think they should have come out in unison as a team. So, yeah, we're all involved and probably all cop a couple of weeks suspension. And I think um, now in 2022 would be far, far, um, far down the road from this rather than opening old wounds. And uh, I'm not sure the manager of David Warner coming out and accusing unnamed people in Cricket Australia, unnamed, uh, um, for encouraging them to ball tamper is going to help things. It's just going to make this... Uh, the story for the days to come and Australia at what in a powerful position in a test match no one's going to talk about that game as a result No, you're not wrong there I, I guess the big question Hamish is are Mitre 10 going to include sandpaper in their beach cricket sets again uh, this Christmas? 
Well, these are good questions. Um, I'd like to know what's on Craig Brathwaite's hands, um, the West Indies captain. I mean, just, yeah, like Warner had his hands taped up for years. The whole idea with them formalising a band for him was silly. Like, we can, there are lots of people and lots of codes with never to be captain penciled in next to their name because they're unsuitable for a variety of reasons. And he's one of those dudes, you know, like, you don't bowl up to Rohit Sharma in an ODI in Sydney and say, hey, mate, you speak English here, speak English. Like, that's just offensive. And you can't have, in a, in a position where some diplomacy is required and some statesmanship is required, a, a sort of a, a bogan, if I can put it that way, like David Warner in charge, that just embarrasses everyone. Mm, yeah, 100%. 100%, gentlemen. He's not captaincy material. 100%, right? I think we're all in agreement of that. Mm-hmm. But they have given him a, a place to argue by banning him for life. You take... uh, because it sounds pretty draconian, doesn't it, fellas? You can't do it ever, no matter what you do from here on in. I'm not, I'm not sure, um, you know, uh, th- that's the greatest uh, idea with regards to seeking some form of rehabilitation because they wanted to change how they went about it. They, they wanted to sort of bring about some sort of positive change. And, and to his credit, he's kept pretty quiet over the last couple of years. Um, I'm sure the, the burning David Warner is on the inside wanting to come out, but hasn't. No, I, I wonder whether or not we will get a... Well, I don't wonder. I know we'll get a book. It'll just be interesting to see what's actually in the book and uh, how much of a martyr he is when he uh, finally hangs up the bat. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Twenty-seven away from eleven, Hamish Bidwell and Daniel McCarty with us on the panel today. And, uh, gentlemen, yesterday uh, we saw the uh, unveiling of Dame... Patsy Reddy is the first female New Zealand rugby chair. What was your reaction to her naming, Daniel? Sorry, I was just being invaded by two little rugrats, uh, Ricardo. Um, completely missed the question. Uh, that's that. all right. No, no, I was just uh, saying the appointment of Dame Patsy Reddy as the first female chair of New Zealand rugby. What was your take on that? What was your reaction when you heard that news? Well, uh, I probably had more of a reaction when she was initially appointed back in, uh, what, eight, eight, nine months ago, if I'm not mistaken, to the board itself. But it is a big step up. Uh, and this uh, person just reeks of competency uh, if, if you look at her career path. Of course, former, former governor general, um, lawyer, partner of a law firm, you know, hold multiple directorships in her career, chaired, um, uh, what, New Zealand Film Commission, chief negotiator, the Treaty of Waitangi. Uh, we've also seen what major review of intelligence agencies, uh, which I think could quite come in quite handy because I haven't seen much intelligence on the executive of uh, uh, New Zealand rugby uh, in recent times. Um, whether or not she has massive sway, only time is going to tell. But uh, if you're looking solely at a CV, um, you can't pick too many holes in it, can you? You can't, I don't think you can, and it'd be interesting. I wouldn't have thought somebody like her, with her background and her CV, as you mentioned, is going to is going to take this role if she can't affect some sort of change. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Hamish, uh, where are you on that? Mate, I rolled my eyes, to be fair. Like, once upon a time, I'd have been, like, euphoric. Well, you know, I would have, some of the people I was working for, like, the sort of a, a woke line of thinking, and I would have said, this is an amazing step forward. Um, I know I'd argued for Bailey Mackey rather than Stuart Mitchell last time around. But, you know, when I get emails from people at NZR who are a he, him, or a them, they, like, I just, and we've got, like, this diverse leadership group and we've got more diversity targets to meet, like, let's pick a proper coach. Let's get some decent results. Like, I don't care how diverse they are. I don't care all the boxes they tick. I don't care what rainbows, that, uh, whatever that they're buddy achieving. Like, I just want a proper coach and some proper rugby. And I just... All this other stuff, this virtue signalling nonsense is one of the things that, to me, 
is, is, is making the game, or at least the All Blacks, a laughing stock. Like, I just, I'm a rugby fan. Most people are rugby fans, and we have to sort of opine about who we think is the right governance people. Well, who gives us, I don't care, but I just want them to get the right things done, and they can be as diverse as they want and as inclusive as they want. But it comes down to what happens on Saturdays, and what happens on Saturdays, to my thinking, is pretty mediocre. Are you... uh, those questions more about the executive, though, Hamish, rather than the board. We're talking about the chairperson of the board. Um, yeah, but they pick well, these I, I people, don't they? Don't they? Like fair income. Virtue signalling, is she? Or, or have I misinterpreted that? We have got a deputy chairman who's Māori, a deputy chairman who's female Māori, and we've got a woman for the first time as chairman of the board. These aren't things done on, to me, competence. They're done on virtue signalling. And I don't think that most rugby fans are that bothered about it or care about it. And good luck to them. But these are the people charged with appointing coaches and CEOs and management staff that dictate the direction of the game. And they can be as woke as they like, but they aren't winning many games. On that... I'll go back to the point of, isn't that more about the executive? Mark Robinson and his crew make, will be still the king makers on that front. And the board essentially ratifies it, doesn't it? They're going to take guidance from the executive, and I, and I think that the, sh- the light should be on the executive. You can't hide behind COVID anymore. Uh, you, you, you've got to get your ship in order. It was a sorry year, to say the least. And uh, already months and months out, uh, uh, who, who has fears that they're going to sort of blunder the next coach appointment, um, a bit like last time around, when they ask people to um, apply with their... Uh, with the ideal assistant coaches. I don't know one sporting organisation in the world, a high-functioning uh, professional one, um, that uh, gets people to apply for a head coaching role. Generally, you go out, you identify who's the best, and you do everything in your powers to get the team that you want. Well, I did wonder whether or not, you know, the cynic in me, Hamish, uh, whether or not, you know, the timing of this was quite uh, convenient, shall we say, for Mark Robinson and co, given the heat they're getting over um, who's going to be coaching the All Blacks post-2024, given uh, how much of a dog's breakfast they made of it last time. Good on you. I didn't give it that much thought. I don't really... Oh, look, man, I don't know. Like, you're asking me to come on this and and express an opinion and really an honest truth. I don't really care. You know what I mean? Like, I just... There's not a lot I really actually do care about in the world. I know that Brent Impey thought he ran New Zealand rugby when he was the chairman, and I doubt that Dame Patsy really probably thinks that she's going to run it, but maybe she will. But in terms of a smokescreen, I don't know. Like... The Robertson thing appalls me, and it has appalled me for years, but like that's just the way they run it. You know, they're, they're a company man company, and Foster's a good company man, and I don't know who they've got on earth as the next company man. Maybe they'll get Schmidt to step up, but, you know, someone like Razor, who could potentially have an international gaff, like that would be a disastrous for them because they're just so image conscious. I don't know what they're going to do. Is it a smokescreen? I doubt it, and I don't care. Mm. All right, well, let's move on there. Let's talk FIFA World Cup. Of course, we've got the quarterfinals coming up, uh, but that has been overshadowed uh, once again with some off-field stuff, Daniel. Nasser al Qatar is under fire for comments after, you know, uh, apparently the, uh, only three people died in building the uh, World Cup stadium, but uh, shock horror, we've had one die during the tournament. Uh, he said that uh, death is just part of life and uh, people shouldn't uh, over-politicise it. So three three people was their initial line prior to the tournament. About a week into the tournament, they actually uh, changed that number, didn't they, mm. uh, Ricardo, and elevated it up substantially to uh, better reflect the actual um, horror of building these stadiums. I know they've um, 
had a merry dance song and dance about you know, the changes to uh, employment law for, for migrant workers, which conveniently came about after the stadiums had been built. Um, you know, timing was perfect on that. I'm not sure if you've actually played the clip to the audience, uh, uh, Ricardo, but the tone, it's the tone um, for which Nassau Qatar speaks in. So how dare you ask um, about this uh, inconvenient death, which I, I'm pretty sure, and please correct me if I've got this wrong, occurred at the Saudi Arabia team facility. Mm-hmm. So it was actually um, on a FIFA World Cup um, area. Um, he uses an air quotation marks. And I would have thought uh, something on the lines of sharing your condolences straight away and actually talking about, hey, we are going to figure out what exactly happened and make sure... Um, this does not happen again, but it, it seemed more about how very dare you actually ask me about this. Just look, there's football over there. You can't have it both ways. No, you can't have it both ways. They've tried to sports wash this, Hamish, but it seems to be backfiring. I mean, there is more focus on this than there is just about anything else, and uh, they just make it seem to make it worse and worse for themselves. Yeah, I think the outrage is at least 10 years too late. Like, fair income disgrace that yeah. the tournament's there in the first place, and there's, mm. just, there's just nothing prior or since that makes me enthused about the tournament and that's a shame because I like football and I certainly like World Cups It's sometimes I'm here at work my son watches a bit in the morning but I I'm turned off by all this corruption at FIFA and, and, and the shady way that that countries are given hosting rights and there was never any justification whatsoever for Qatar on any level being a host and we all anecdotally know about things that have happened there or we all read things that have happened there and you know to be outraged now, it's, it's a bit late in the piece because, I mean, we should have been outraged to the extent that it wasn't allowed to be staged there in the first place. Mm, yeah, 100%. We have been outraged at FIFA for a generation. FIFA just does not change. FIFA is a rule until itself. It's a kingdom until itself. And they're not going to change, uh, are they? Uh, it, it does seem. And we're all going to be cynical about every appointment uh, going forward and have huge doubts about it. As far as, is, is this overshadowing the World Cup, Ricardo, I, I would... I would say no. Um, I think this is a Western media, Western world uh, issue. I, I think if if you speak to people in other parts of the globe, um, I, I think Qatar are getting their way and they uh, are just focusing on the football. Hey, it's interesting, man, the dynamic of this, because I know that uh, uh, something that happened recently, uh, about a year ago, is that uh, UEFA and Comnibol uh, set up their own combined office in London and I think, if anything, that's a shot across FIFA's bows because neither uh, Comnibold nor UEFA are particularly happy with FIFA or Infantino. I mean, I can see a time when, you know, Europe and South America go, well, you know, you can have your FIFA, but you're not going to have our, our teams, and they just break away and do their own thing. And then, I mean, that'll really torpedo FIFA because they, they won't have the best teams in the world, Hamish. Um, again, like... I'm I'm a runs and wickets, goals and tries man. Do you know what I mean? Like the governance side of game of sport and corruption and political game playing in the background, it's not it's not really what I spend my time thinking about. Mm. And what about you, Daniel? I mean, is that something that when that uh, got set up, they had that Argentina versus Italy game recently, which was the first thing that those two did as part of this new partnership. Is is that something that's crossed your mind? The final Missio or something like that. It was mm. called. It was dreadfully named competition, so they need to actually figure that out. But if you just look at um, where all the nations are for the World Cup uh, quarterfinals, would it be seven of eight? Seven of eight um, would theoretically be involved in that, but um, 
Uh, I, I'm a little bit of a hypocrite. I, I jump up and down about all these things. And once the tournament uh, tends to start, I tend to focus on uh, the goals, uh, the free kicks. And, and I must admit, I'm, I'm you know, more intrigued about can the Dutch upset Argentina? Why are English fans and so many pundits down on England and giving them no chance? Uh, I find that uh, hilarious. So, um, you know, you know, criticise me if you will, but um, I'm probably looking at the quarterfinals. Well, gentlemen, thanks very much for coming on today. Enjoy, uh, enjoyed your time on the panel and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Enjoy your weekends. Hamish, Daniel, thank you. My pleasure. Cheers. Uh, take it easy indeed. Uh, have good weekends, guys. It is 16 away from 11 here on SCNZ. It is uh, 11 away from 11 o'clock here on SCNZ. Uh, Ricardo Ball with you. In for Smithy, who is, of course, off uh, in Australia, part of the Fox commentary team. He is uh, covering uh, the West Indies versus Australia series. They had day one yesterday in Adelaide. Uh, the Aussies ending up 303 for three at the end of the day. Labashane, yet another century. Uh, how good is he going? Uh, and uh, Steve Smith, though who did score that unbeaten 200 in Perth, uh, out for a duck in this one, uh, off eight balls, caught and bowled. Just the second time in his career in tests that Steve Smith had been caught and bowled, which is uh, which is an interesting one. Uh, a couple of uh, things we uh, need to get to. We do have, uh, of course, our Greyhound Racing chat coming up. We're going to be uh, talking to Craig Rail, Greyhound commentator, around 20 past 11. He hasn't been calling for a little while, uh, but he is uh, back on the call in Invercargill this Sunday. So it'll be uh, 16 races he's going to call. Have to see if we can get a tip or two from him. And Jeff McTainch from Sky Sport, the rugby commentator, just after 11 2 on those rugby awards last night. The Love Racing.NZ update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Yeah, loveracing.nz, your home of thoroughbred racing. Louis Herman Watt with us. Uh, G'day, Louis. How are you, mate? Yes, good, Rick Dog. Very good. Not on breakfast today. Everything uh, good in the hood? Yeah, just on annual leave, just uh, pitching in, doing a bit of a love racing update because I'm uh, dedicated to the SCNZ cause. <laughs> company man, company man, mate. What are you looking at this weekend? Well, it's a huge, huge weekend of racing, to be honest, because you've got three gallops meets tomorrow, Tarapa, Awapuni, and Invercargill. So there's something for everyone. North, North, uh, Northern gallops, you've got the Central Districts, and obviously South Island as well. So, man, it's going to be a big day. I would I would try and exercise patience if you're punting, um, because there's going to be races going pretty much every five minutes. So you want to you want to make sure that you're nice and patient. But there are a couple at Tarapa in particular I don't mind, and this is a real easy one to back. Race seven, SVR barrier ten. So wide enough, but SVR was pretty much a moral beaten last start. It got trapped along the inside, and when it was out late, it absolutely stormed home. Won't happen this time because A, Sam Weatherly's on, and B, again, barrier 10. So uh, he's going to be out coming down the outside. He was so strong last start. I really think that at $482, you know what I like to say, Rick Dog, each way all day, he won't be running out of the three. I'd be very, very surprised, and I think he would be winning. SVR, race seven, number three. And um, look, we've been talking about Cinerama all week, and she's $1.85 now. I reckon they'll boost her, so you might get $2 or $2.05 or $2.10 tomorrow morning. Um, uh, I have had it on very good authority that she is as good as she could be, hoping the track is maybe a 5 or a 6. 
just so she can slightly get her toe into it a wee bit. But at $1.85 in the Calas as you stakes race six, Cinerama will be way too good. So there you go. There's a couple for you if you're doing a bit of shopping on a Friday. Yeah, definitely. And Cinerama Kempi was pretty fizzed about that in the studio this morning. I can tell you the uh, yeah, trackside one on in the studio. And every time they, they had their form coming up for the weekend and Cinerama came up, he was he was like a kid at Christmas, mate, pointing at the screen to everybody. Going, Look at that. Yeah, well, fair enough. But she's going to be winning and she's made him a lot of money and she's in fold Tarzino. And that horse will probably make him a lot of money as well, knowing the way Al Sharrick's breeding operation is going at the moment. Hey, Rick, the only other thing is Sunday night, you've got the Hong Kong International Races. And this is the best meet Hong Kong has all year. The best jockeys from around the world. I'm talking Ryan Moore. I'm talking Hugh Bowman, James McDonald. Uh, you've obviously got Zach Purden. You've got Vincent Ho there. This will be the feature piece of the weekend. Wherever you are around the world, all eyes on Sha Tin, Sunday night viewing. Uh, in Hong Kong. It's going to be awesome. Golden 60, the king of Hong Kong, looking to win yet another Hong Kong mile. Uh, you've got the sprint. There's Kiwi connections everywhere. There's Kiwi bred horses everywhere. You've got Jamie Richards up there. And he, Jamie Richards, is going to join the mail run tomorrow with myself and Maddie Croft at about 9.30 to talk about his Hong Kong operation and how it's all going for him up in Asia. Sounds good, mate. Good stuff, Louis. Enjoy the rest of your day off and your long weekend as well. Loveracing.nz for all your thoroughbred racing news, previews, replays, profiles and more. You can bet live on your favourite sports by downloading the TAB app today. Pip, if you've got the the TAB app open, what should you be looking at ahead of the weekend? Oh, well, definitely, I think, go to Tarapa under the racing section. Ricardo, good morning to you. It's going to be a huge day on Saturday. We've got the Group 3 Waikato Cup, race number eight. And South Obsession's the best back there at $3.80. Just narrowly in behind Z Falls, who's a close second at $9. So a bit of each-way play there. And the race number four, the Group 3 J-Swap Sprint. Clever Rugs is the best back at $11.00. And then in the Group 2, Cal Izuzu, which is race number six, it's all Cinerama, Cinerama at the moment at 1.9. So those are the three features. And, of course, we better mention the Football World Cup. I can tell you, head-to-head money on Argentina v Netherlands, quite split down the middle. There's been 1,000 on Netherlands head-to-head at 350, 800 on Argentina to qualify at 158, and two $1,000 head-to-head bets on Portugal at 162. We had a couple of big bets coming this morning too, Ricardo, for Brazil to take out the whole comp and in their head-to-head match at 133. Good stuff, Pip. Go well, mate. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the racing, and uh, good luck on the punt with the football as well, eh? You too, mate. I'm sure you'll go well. Yeah, cheers, mate. Watch a bit live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly. R18. Now, coming up in the next hour, we're going to be talking rugby, greyhounds and harness racing. It's three past 11 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Coming up this hour, Craig Rail, Greyhound commentator, is going to join us. Uh, we'll talk about him returning uh, to call a bumper 16 race card in Invercargill on Sunday. Maybe get a few tips from him as well. We have a $50 TAB bonus bid up for grabs with Stumped as well. Greg O'Connor is going to join us to talk about uh, Trot's talk and harness racing this weekend. And we'll catch up with staff as well before his midday madness kicks in after midday. Joining us right now, though, uh, to talk rugby and the big award winners last night from the New Zealand Rugby Awards is Sky Sport rugby commentator Jeff McTainch. G'day, Jeff. How are you? Good morning, mate. Nice to hear your voice. And uh, I must say, you must be a pig in the proverbial at the moment with the FIFA World Cup on. I've uh, 
you've been on my mind because it's been such an amazing tournament. I know we can maybe chat about that another time, but um, I'm sure you are, are grinning ear to ear with uh, with the quality of football. Yeah, mate, it's been a it's been a great tournament actually. It, uh, it has been really enjoyable. Some uh, some good upsets, some great football played as well, mate, and uh, uh, a few successful punts. It's got to be said as well. To be fair. Yeah. But, uh, we, we... No, I've lost a lot of money on a few multis, mate, so we'll talk about that in another day. You know, mate, so last night was uh, was a great night for rugby, and and I think too, um, obviously, it's a, an amazing year for the Black Ferns and and what they've managed to achieve. And and you know, quite rightly, they were were front and centre, uh, and and recognised as such. Uh, team of the year, coach of the year, Wayne Smith, Rua Hayes, the man, player of the year, Kel Tremaine, uh award as well. So you know, look, it was um, it was well deserved. The turnaround in, in the space of 18 months was, you know, I think one of the, the great things we've witnessed in New Zealand sport, you know, to go away in a northern... Oh, we lost, we lost Jeff. You there, right, mate? I'm there, mate. Yeah, I'm all good. Uh, losing, you know, four tests uh, on, the, on, the, on the tour last year uh, to come back and, and uh, perform the way they did was, um, was, was simply remarkable. And that coaching team, I, I know it's going to be a tough, uh, a tough road from here. I know the applicants had to get their uh, their names in the hat for um, the director of rugby, whatever the role they're going to call it, um, with, with the parting of Wayne Smith. But I think that uh, you know you've got a couple of guys there. Wes Clark, Alan Bunting, and Wes has been with the team since 2015. Um, he's a great candidate. So is so is uh, is Alan Bunting as well. So. There's a there's a core there. Uh, there's a nucleus of uh, of good people, and, and and that's the key. And that's what Wayne Smith. Um, I think that's where where the real success came was actually bringing the right people together, uh, galvanising not just that team, but um, you know getting those people in place that could make that happen. Because yes, he was a, he was a, he was the tip of the arrow, if you like, um, but he had the right people around him, and that's what he's done throughout his career. So. Um, a lot of that success has to go to Wayne Smith. Obviously, he was named World Coach of the Year as well, and he can go back and kick, kick up the feet in he and uh, enjoy the summer and a cold beverage. But, uh, again, a phenomenal performance. And uh, if you look at the way, you know, the Hayes man played, obviously, Artie Savia named All Black of the Year with a snub in the world uh, awards. Uh, so, you know, it's great to see him get recognised. Statistically, his best year that he's had. Uh, he, he just goes from strength to strength. He's, he's phenomenal, but... I think Ruahay, uh, the way she uh, controlled that Black Ferns team, uh, instilled that belief, co-captaining as well, of course, um, was just phenomenal. And her, her gamesmanship and the way she played, particularly in that final, I thought was um, was extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, you're a hundred percent correct, mate. I mean, and and I've got to say, and I don't know where you were on this, but that you know end of year tour last year was so disappointing, and I thought. Uh, I know they brought in Super Rugby Old Pecky, but given how um, short that was and how few games there were, it felt like putting a Band-Aid uh, you know, on, a, on an amputated arm. It didn't feel like they'd done enough New Zealand rugby, and I wasn't convinced at the start of the tournament yeah. they'd closed the gap enough with France and England, but, uh, but you know, they, no. they, they did great things, that, that playing group, that coaching group. Yeah, and I think it's just testament uh, to... You know the years of experience from all of those people. Like you bring in to Graham Henry, you bring in, bring in Mike Cron um, and, and others um, around Wayne Smith. I mean, he had the plan in his head, the professor. But you need the right people there. And, and look, there would have been people out there that would have argued, you know, why are you bringing um, some of these some of these coaches back in that, that have like they have had their time, if you like. But it just showed that um, you, you can't, uh, you know, experience is so valuable, and and to bring them in and and I think, too, at the point of their careers, you know, Graham Henry, Sir Graham Henry had gone through a successful tenure with the All Blacks, uh, with Wales, 
and and Auckland and others over a long period of time. And I think he was at a point in his career where, he, like Wayne Smith, just wanted to give back. Same with Mike Cron. So to come in and I guess under in that sort of relaxed uh, frame, you know, they were dancing at their first practices and things, and and um, and getting involved. I think that was really important too. Um, so they knew the job at hand. They knew what the task was to rebuild this team and 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 build that culture and build that belief. But um, I think they did it with a relaxed approach, which um, I think, you know, it, it, you know, Wade, he, he doesn't give too much away. I think in that last week leading up to the World Cup final, um, he did really well to hold that together and kind of keep that poker face because I'm sure behind uh, closed doors there was a few nerves and things. But, um, you know, throughout the whole time, as I say, um, there was that relaxed nature to this team. And, and I think, you know, for me, looking at the way the Black Ferns performed um, this year, you know, New Zealand rugby can really learn from it. I know Dame Passeretti's coming in as the new chair. Uh, Stuart Mitchell is going to be moving on. And, and, you know, so not just the performances on the field of this incredible team, but it's what we can do in the boardroom. And I know they're trying to get that uh, that mandated 40% um, on the New Zealand rugby board, and that's something that they're looking at, uh, at doing uh, in the new year if they can. So... Uh, there's change across across the whole whole game, and um, and it's not just important for women's rugby. This is, you know, during the World Cup, people say, "Oh, this is great for women's rugby. This is great for rugby." What the Blackburns have achieved, um, but for the whole game, so uh, we can all be Im- immensely proud. And as I say, well deserved last night and, and well recognised. Yeah, maybe something that hasn't been talked about enough actually is, you know, the crowds that we saw at the Women's Rugby World Cup were quite different demographically to the crowds. Uh, that we traditionally see at All Blacks games, for example. And I think even the viewership numbers, you know, when they had the free-to-air games, uh, were different to what they tended to get as well uh, previously. Yeah. So the, the knock-on effect of this is maybe something that, that wasn't uh, sort of top of the list of what they thought would, they would achieve, but it, it's been, an, it's been yeah. a nice knock-on effect, if you like. Yeah, well, initially the plan was um, to have the games elsewhere. You know, Eden Park wasn't really... Um, going to see that much action, obviously, when they got it in. And I know there was there was a, um, confusion around the crowd numbers for that first game against Australia, but um, that was just pre-sales and a few comps, I think, um, that, that came into the fold there. But no, you did right. Like, I, I don't think... I don't think they anticipated uh, this sort of reaction, but um, what that does show you, I think, is that um, the genuine love for the game uh, and when it's played well, whether it's men playing the game, whether it's women playing the game, when rugby's played well, it, it gets the punters in. So again, it's another great learning. Um, you know, it's wonderful to see Full Houses and uh, and Whangarei at West Auckland and, and indeed at Eden Park. And I've got to say, um, watching that final, uh, I was at home actually was, uh, with my wife uh, sitting on the couch, and it was one of the great moments of footy I've ever seen. Like it was just, it just blew me away. Um, and just to see. The crowd so involved, the atmosphere, the pride, um, the mana that was that was there, uh, and, and above all, though the, the quality of footy that was played, the execution, uh, Stacey Flula's try, mm. not surprisingly, um, try of the year as well was. I think you got to say, Ricardo, it was <laughs> it was a heck of a game, and that was one one moment in the game where um, I had a text the next day from from a father-in-law who watched it. And he said, um, "I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how Stacey Flula can." a try like that uh, on, on a stage like that in a final like that and, and be running as fast as that and still have a big smile on her face. How is she getting the oxygen in? So, no, mate, it was um, yeah extraordinary year. And, and I think when you, uh, you, know, you look at that with the, the year the All Blacks have had, I know it hasn't been the greatest of years performance-wise and we can 
uh, talk till the cows come home about the, the coaching or whether they've got the right staff. But um, again, it's, it's it's been a nice foil for, for that for that year, and I think they would have looked at that too and how how perhaps they can do things a little bit differently, maybe heading into uh, into into the next year because you know they're going to have to make some adjustments. Not a not a great Northern Tour, um, you know, a couple of a couple of moments there where things could have gone uh, very, very differently and we could have been having a different discussion. So, um, you know, they're going to have to, uh, to change a few things, but um, it's a huge year next year there's, and there's no there's no hiding from it. And I think when the occasion rolls around, the All Blacks, the All Blacks will step up. And I think despite all of the, the chat around the coaching staff and, and this and that and what's going to happen, what's got Robinson in the future and, you know, and the movement in the north with Eddie Jones and all that stuff. We're just going to put that to one side and get behind this team because uh, there is some quality there and, and uh, it's going to be a heck of a year uh, next year. Yeah, it will be a heck of a year. I mean, it's the, the, the conversation has to be had, though, around the coaching uh, scenario, maybe not about replacing it before the World Cup, but certainly about what's going to happen post because you'd hope that, uh, you know, the lesson was learned from 2019 and that New Zealand rugby kind of get to the end of the World Cup and then look around and the cupboard's bare because everybody's already been snapped up. They need to make a decision now. And I think that's the that's the big talking point for most people, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, those those conversations will obviously be being had and are still being had right now. So I, I think, um, you know, they have to make a... They have to make a a decision around whether they go with Scott or, or you know, there's talk maybe it's Jamie Joseph and uh, potentially Tony Brown, they bring that crew down. I mean, either or, they've got options, um, how they work in with Joe Schmidt as well, um, and, and so on. So um, this, I don't think there's a bad option, but I think what uh, what you can ill afford to do from a, a selection process is, is dither. And I think that's been the, unfortunately, that's been the thing I think that has hurt um, has hurt the game a little bit. It's just been um, the unfortunate process, the way things worked this year. Um, and again, you know, uh, Scott Robinson has made it clear, his intention is clear that he wants to coach internationally uh, to World Cup another team as well. So um, we can't wait too long, I think, from an NCAA perspective, if that's, if that's who they're wanting, if they're wanting to go down a different path. Um, then do that but you know down the track Scott's a, a young coach um, he's got a, a long career ahead of him and we've seen with um, so Steve Hansen Graham Henry in the past uh, you know coaching coaching abroad with Wales and um, you know Deeds uh, you know Warren Gatlin heading back as well so you know I think it's it's advantageous to to build that uh, career experience abroad with another team uh, learn the ins and outs and if that is the path that Scott Robinson then got on him and good luck uh, because I'm sure he'll be successful in, in whichever team he takes on. But again, I, I go back to it. I think if, if they're going to make a call, they have to make a clear call, back it, and um, you know, I think put the motions in place um, fairly early on. Because the last thing you want to do is leave it until the last minute. 100%, mate, 100%. I think that's uh, that's something that needs to have been learned for sure. Uh, I mean, so many awards last night, so many awards given out, um, and, and I guess you look at some of the nominees, and, I mean, if, if there was anything, that, you know, it was all pretty straightforward, I thought, but maybe a, an eyebrow raised about Portia Woodman not getting a nomination? Yeah, it's true. I mean, she was phenomenal at the World Cup, and obviously it was unfortunate what happened um, to her uh at the business end of the tournament, the final, you know, it was it was um, it was sad to see, but uh, you know, she she's been such a massive uh, part of this Black Ferns journey, such a contributor, a World Cup records, left, right, and centre. Um, 
But if you look at, uh, you know, the players that, uh, you know, she was up against, you know, who I hate the man, as we've said, um, you know, to win not only the Black Ferns player of the year, but the Tom French Memorial as well. Um, you know, she was just, uh, she was just astonishing. And, and, uh, and then you look on, on the other side of things, the other players that they had there that were just so integral. We talked a lot about the Black Ferns midfield, um, the World Cup, and obviously Stacey Flula, um being uh, recognised with the try of the year as well was was uh, was special. So now Portia is an incredible player, and she's had uh, plenty of accolades during her career. There'll be many more, I'm sure, as well. But um, I, I think it's really hard to go past Rua Hay and, and the way that she uh, helped lead that team. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, mate. And uh, uh, just finally, uh, a mention of the Dwayne Monkley medal winner in Bryn Gatland. Uh, we did see him appear on that uh, All Black Fifteen uh, tour. Uh, played uh, played a little bit in there. I'm, uh, with his dad doing what his dad's about to do. Has anybody checked uh, his availability for Wales? I mean, uh, is that is that something that might uh, come out of the woodwork? Yeah, well, you definitely you definitely put him in there if uh, if, if the shoe fits. But no, he um, he had a a remarkable year. Like he, I think it was one of the best years, without a doubt, for Brent Gatlin statistically. He's playing with a, almost a newfound confidence. I think there's always been a lot of pressure on Brent's shoulders wherever he's played, and and I'm not too sure why he, he managed to shake that off this year, but he did. And and um, you know, the old saying that you know that the best players seem to have a little bit more time than others. I just I think a, a bit more time started to flow into his game this year, the way he played. Um, you know, NPC we had a lot more um, moments of tactical brilliance where you know he was under pressure and he, he put away a fifty twenty two and and um, yeah again I just think he's he's taken his game to another level so um, well deserved uh, Dwayne Monkley recipient and uh, yeah long might continue the, the form of uh, of Bryn Gatlin. Indeed. All right, Jeff. Hey, listen, thanks very much for uh, coming on and having a chat, mate. I know you've had a busy old year calling NPC, calling Super Rugby, calling all sorts. Uh, you earned a well-earned break, mate. Put your feet up, enjoy your Christmas, and uh, we'll catch you in the new year, eh? Yeah, good on you, mate, and uh, go Argentina. Go Argentina indeed, there you go. Uh, Jeff McTainch from Sky Sport Rugby Commentator talking those rugby awards from last night. It is 18 past 11. When we come back, we're talking greyhounds with Craig Rail. Yes, thanks to Brant, your local John Deere equipment supplier. It's uh, time to talk dogs now and uh, joining us uh, to talk uh, greyhound racing in New Zealand and uh, the meet that they've got, particularly in Addington on Sunday, big 16 race meet, is Craig Rail. G'day Craig, how are you? Uh, good, thanks, Ricardo. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning, all. Looking forward to a, a bumper weekend of greyhound racing. Yes, 16 races on the program, so it's going to be quite a busy day. Yeah, I hope you got some fisherman's friend tucked away, mate. <laughs> well, funnily enough, uh, I don't think I've called a race for six months now, so um, it's been a while since I've called uh, any race of any code. Uh, and I'm at Invercargill Gallops tomorrow, and I just uh, looked at the fields. Uh, um, I'm about to start the form for Invercargill, and saw the first race as uh, 16, there's two emergencies, a full field of 14, and I was thinking... Uh, Mostly horses I've never seen before running out before either of them, so I'm not sure how I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> but what have you what have you been doing for the last six months while you haven't been calling? I'm a contract worker for Harness Racing Victoria. I was a full-time employee for Harness Racing Victoria for around 15 years, um, and then I moved over to New Zealand, and I stayed working with them, but, of course, uh, being in a different country, I couldn't stay a full-time employee, so I work as a contract worker for HRV, and 
that keeps me very busy. I, I work, uh, you know, with former analysis doing you know, trial reports, and I also have a, a separate contract uh, with the, the integrity department and work with the, the integrity department. So it's full on. It's seven days a week. Mm. Uh, so uh, I, I work pretty hard, and uh, you know, occasionally uh, I get uh, let off the chain, and I can call a couple of races here and there. <laughs> oh, that's what we want to see, mate. We want to see you back. I mean, in that six months, have you have you had the hankering? Have you found yourself, um, you know, calling you calling a two chooks running around in the backyard to yourself, like calling it like a race, just to just to keep it toned in. Uh, well, uh, I've been calling a few races off the TV the last week, hoping uh, that I could sort of tone myself back up again. But uh, there's nothing like uh, being live, and um, yet when the pressure's on, um, it's completely different. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I've tried to. Uh, you know, study and do do what I, I can to uh, make sure that I'm I'm up to standard <laughs> out of the next weekend, uh, this weekend and, and the oncoming weeks. But um, you know, you never know until the pressure actually gets on you. When did you first start calling races, and how did you get into it? Oh, I was a yeah. Uh, yeah, born into you know, racing. My mum and dad used to take us to the races all the time, whether it, uh, because I was born in Brisbane, or whether it be Eagle Farm or Doombin or Launton Greyhounds or Albion Park Greyhounds at the end. Or, uh, you know, I've always been a trotting man, so we used to go to Redcliffe on uh, Friday night and Albion Park on a Saturday night. So, uh, um, you know, it was just a, a natural progression, really, because we weren't really horse or greyhound people. We were just punters, or my mum and dad were, so... Um, yeah, you know, just seemed to, to love it, and I you know, got into the grandstand, and I was calling from a, a tape recorder on the grandstand. But I, I used to race golf balls down the pool with my brother, um, and we used to run race after race after race, and I used to call them down the pool. So that's uh, that's how I virtually started. Um, and you know, we used to ride ride out, to, you know, the official race meetings of the golf balls, etc., and, and um, you know, handicap them, etc. Et and my, my brother ended up being a handicapper in Queensland, and I ended up being a race caller. For most of my life, anyway. Oh, mate, uh, how have you found the transition? I mean, I'm born and bred in Queensland, uh, all due respect, but Southland, uh, the weather's not exactly the same. <laughs> no, it's not exactly the same. But uh, you know, Queensland's quite uh, humid as well, and, and quite quite warm, particularly in summer. And in three or four months uh, in, in Queensland, uh, over spring summer period, you know it's going to be hot every day. It's going to be hot. Then I moved to Victoria, and I, I work for Harness Racing Victoria. And um, you know, Victorian weather can be a, a, a little bit like here uh, in Invercargill. In so you know, after uh, some 15 years in Victoria, I suppose I got used to the weather, but uh, it still gets almighty cold here during the winter. Yeah, and, and being a Queenslander, you mentioned Redcliffe, and of course we've got the Dolphins coming to the NRL next year. I mean, who is your team? I know you've been here for a while. Are you are you a Broncos man? Are you a Warriors man? Or you you think you might punt with uh, Wayne Bennett's new side? Uh, no, no, I've always been a Penrith man, uh, and I, I know they've won the last two grand finals, and I suppose a lot of people are Penrith men now, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I absolutely adore Penrith, and I sit here and I yell at the TV, and uh, I tell my fiance I've become a completely completely bit different person when uh, Penrith's playing than I, I am normally. <laughs> oh, the, the Pink Panthers, the Pink Panthers. Oh, we'll crack your head of this weekend. I mean, you mentioned it, 16 races on Sunday uh, out of Invercargill. It's such a big field that if you go on the TAB website, they've actually created a second meet. So you've got meet, meet three, meeting three at Invercargill as races one to ten, and then meeting five is called Invercargill Extra races uh, one to six. 
Yes, uh, yes, they, they do that quite often with the, the greyhounds with, with so many races. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the challenge. Uh, greyhound racing is probably you know, my, my worst of the three, if you wanted to, to rank uh, uh, how I call. Um, you know, harness racing you know, has my, been my passion, and, of course, working solely for Harness Racing Victoria for 15 years. Like, I never called the greyhounds or the gallops for 15 years. Uh, I did in, in Queensland when I was working for 40AB, but uh, you know, when I was working for Harness Racing Victoria, I was solely calling the trots. So, um, you know, it, it was took me a little while to, to get back into the swing of things uh, when I came over here and started calling the three codes again. Uh, and now um, I'm not calling often. Uh, it might take me a, a little while to get back into the swing of things again. Uh, but I'm hoping that uh, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay, but yeah, when you get a, a field where there's, I see there's a few Huanui's in one race, and there's a few no's uh, you know, uh, in, in another race. Uh, in the end, uh, when there's uh, so many, uh, and uh, you know, you listen to Mark Rosanowski call all the big times, and there might be eight big times in one race. It's it's pretty tricky times. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll sort of work it out as as we go, and and, and I hope I'm, I'm up to standard. But we've got uh, far south challenge heats. Uh, some outstanding heats there, and there's some uh, sprinting feature heats as well. Uh, you know, the first Far South Challenge heat sees Postman pad up against the Parwa Superstar. That should be an absolute cracking race. Uh, and then the second heat has Talbingo Bale uh, up against uh, the likes of Charlotte Lou and Big Daddy, who's uh, on the rise, has had seven wins out of eight starts. So that's a, a really good heat. And in the uh, fe- feature sprints, uh, uh, you've got the uh, Levi Vale in the uh, the first heat, uh, which would be very hard to beat. The uh, Power Rider, who's won 16 of 28 in heat two. Uh, the local there, Buster's brother, will run a bit of a race from uh, out in box eight. He, he loves it out there, and uh, he can run really fast time at Invercargill. And the, the last heat, uh, Corborn Cardi, who was very good at Addington yesterday, uh, will um, do battle uh, with uh, the likes of Victoria Lou. And, of course, another one of the locals there loves to lead Southern King. So uh, that's, um, you know a rundown of uh, some of the, the feature heats uh, of, of the day, and uh, they, they are outstanding greyhounds, so I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, no, it sounds like it's going to be a massive uh, massive day on Sunday. Craig, thanks very much for coming on and having a chat, mate, and best of luck uh, getting back into the call, and uh, I hope you have a good time. I hope you enjoy yourself getting back into it, and I'm, I'm sure your, your calling of the hounds will, will, still, will still rank ahead of your calling of the golf balls. <laughs> I used to love calling the golf balls. I can tell you that right now. I used to call the, yeah, we used to ride out as if they were into dominions or country cups or yeah, and yeah, every golf ball had a name and every golf ball had a record. I used to love doing that. <laughs> Good stuff, Craig Rail. Thanks for your time, mate. Great, uh, great to talk. Have, have a fantastic weekend. Oh, thanks very much, Ricardo. I appreciate the time. Cheers. Uh, Craig Rail there with us. Uh, talking uh, dogs, you can tune in every Sunday from midday for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed, hosted by Mark Rosanowski and Dan Roberts. You won't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. Of course, they will be talking about that meeting at Invercargill on Sunday as well. Uh, coming up, your chance to win a $50 TAB bonus bet. Yes, that's right. Stumped is after the latest in news and sport with Aroha. So give us a call, 0800 150 Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's time to play Stump here on SCNZ Mornings with Ricardo Ball in the hot seat while uh, Smithy is away in Australia. And we're playing for a $50 TAB 
bonus bit today. Ricardo, last one for the week. Yes. You've done not too bad. I'm personally, I'm, I, I, I want you to get up so we have a big one for Monday. Yeah, or Tuesday, actually, because we don't play Stumped on Mondays at the moment. No, not with the new tennis show, The Serve. That's going to be on uh, on Monday. Looking forward to that. Yeah, me too, me too. Uh, started off pretty huge there with Nicholas Lamprin. See where we go for the next set. Uh, but first at the crease, we have Damon from Palmy. Come in, mate. Hi, guys. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. How are you? Yeah, no, good. Thank you. Really good. Uh, I got Morocco from a sweepstakes. I didn't think they were much chance. So uh, I'm not excited that we've made the quarters. <laughs> I like how it's we all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Damon, what's your go-to sport, mate? What's your number one? Uh, I'm a big rugby or rugby league fan, a big Warriors fan, which is hard, but uh, mm. stay loyal. Stay loyal indeed, mate. Yeah, well, you, I tell you what, your patience of a saint, you do. Um, all right, mate, let's see. What <laughs> what what do we got, Logan? What's uh, Damon's options today? Right, the categories to choose from today are the FIFA World Cup, the NFL, and the New Zealand Rugby Awards. Ooh, jeepers. Uh, I don't want to take Ricardo on in the football, so <laughs> I'll have to go. I'll have a stab at NFL. All right, okay. To be fair, I thought you were going to go with the Rugby Awards. <laughs> <laughs> All right, NFL, here we go. First question for you, mate. With a record of 11-1, and one, who is currently the most successful team in this year's NFL? Oh, that would be... Bengals? Sorry, can you say that again? The Cincinnati Bengals? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I know it sounded like uh, something else. I can smell pizza being <laughs> cooked in the kitchen and it's throwing me off. I uh, tell you just quietly, pizza is Logan's kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyone at the Christmas party last night would know that. Uh, Ricardo, your shot. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, surprising a lot of people there, the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, hard luck, Damon, back to the pavilion for you. And now at the crease, Dave from Cambridge. Come in, mate. Hey, lads, a good one? Yeah, not bad. We'll get straight into it. NFL, second question for you. Taking place in 1972, who was the only team to have recorded a perfect season in the NFL? Well, I wish he had actually taken uh, um, rugby awards because I know nothing about the NFL. <laughs> um, I'd have to say, oh, no, the Dolphins. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Well Jeez, done. What a, what a stab in the dark that was. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, that was fantastic, mate. Well done. Try to think, what would make you pick the Dolphins? And all I can think of is uh, Ace Ventura. Well, that's the only team I really know. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Even, even the Bears. The Bears. All right. Well, last question for you, mate. $50 TAB bonus bet on the line here. What team's home ground will the next will host the next Super Bowl? What team's home ground hosts Super Bowl? 
Yeah, well, the, which uh, team? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Ricardo. Yeah. Well, he said Phoenix uh, because I, and I think yeah, he's Phoenix, probably yeah. Yeah, he's not too far away because isn't it the Arizona Cardinals home ground that the Super Bowl's at this time round? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, ah. right in the slot, and away it goes. But they don't play uh, in Phoenix, uh, 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 do they? This is the redemption for uh, Tiatatu <laughs> and the ballpark for you, my friend. Yes, I won't accept uh, Phoenix, but I do accept the Arizona Cardinals, as that is the name of the team. Poor stumped you, mate. Unlucky. Sorry about that. Oh, well, okay, big guy. We'll get, you know, have, have another have another crack, mate. Have another crack uh, during the week next week. Uh, what are you? What's exciting you this weekend, mate? What are you looking forward to? Uh, definitely the quarterfinals of the soccer, mate. I've uh, I backed Argentina probably about three months ago, so that, that'll be that's what I'll be watching. Yeah, what and did the you, racing? Yeah, what did you get Argentina at then? Sixteen. Sixteenth, good times, good times, mate. Well, fingers crossed it comes in for you. It's certainly not the worst shout. They, if they get if they get past the Dutch, they'll probably have to play Brazil before the final. Yeah, I just think uh, Lionel Messi is running that team so superb at the moment. Chance, I reckon. Yeah, no, I reckon. I reckon you're onto something there. All right, look forward to it, mate. Good luck and uh, enjoy the footy this weekend, eh? Cheers, boys. Cheers. All right, it is uh, 20 away from 12 here on SENZ. Uh, mornings with Ian Smith. Of course, Smithy uh, is away talking, uh, calling the cricket, I should say, over in Australia. When we come back, we're going to talk harness racing with Greg O'Connor. Yeah, we are 14 away from midday here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Joining us now to talk harness racing is Greg O'Connor. How are you doing, Greg? Excellent, thank you, Ricardo. How's your Friday going? Oh, mate, it could it couldn't uh, couldn't be too much better, mate. I'm uh, finishing in about fifteen minutes and then meeting a mate for a beer. So uh, you know, yeah. it's on the up and up. It's on the up and up. Yeah, sounds sounds like a good way to spend a Friday afternoon. Yeah, indeed, mate. How about yourself? What do you got lined up this Savo? Uh, look, it's pretty busy harness racing wise this weekend because we go to Alexandra Park tonight couple of feature races there. Looking forward to the Caduceus Club Northern Breeders, which is the lead-up race to uh, next week's $100,000 Group 1 Queen of Hearts at Alexandra Park. Uh, not only that, Copy That resumes tonight. First up since he won his second New Zealand Cup, so he goes round in race number eight tonight. Also, Addington Raceway. They race uh, this evening. They've got 11 races. They've got packed uh, set up there, both at Alexandra Park and at Addington with the Christmas at the Races theme, so basically you can't get a seat in either joint. Um, you know, a lot of people want, want to have their Christmas parties, their work parties, and a um, great way to spend it uh, at the trot, so uh, both of those venues uh, full this evening. And then tomorrow night, it's the Inter-Dominion Grand Final, so looking forward to them coming to us from Melton. Kiwi interest and a little bit robbed, Ricardo, with Bolt for Brilliance coming out after uh, being right up the top of uh, the trotters section, so yeah, that was a, that was a bit of a shame. But we've still got Kiwi interest in a horse called Queen Elida, who's New Zealand owned, was formerly trained here by one of the owners, and Tony Barron, and it's been a big week for the Barons. So the three brothers, Clark, Ken, and Tony, collectively they've trained over 2,000 winners. Um, they're very, very good horsemen, and uh, they lost their father Ron this this 
rider in that final, and um, she's got a good chance. She's been driven by Chris Alford, and she's trained by expat Kiwi and Cantabrian and Brent Lilly, who knows his way around a trotter. So um, we wish the connections well there. So, so plenty on. I haven't even got to the Green Mile Day, Ricardo, on Sunday out of Methven, where both the Pacers and the Trotters uh, get their opportunity over the short course to race for some good money there. Yeah, what have you got? I mean, you, you're always good for a tip, Greg. What have you got in the Green Mile? Uh, look, the, the two green miles, uh, they probably haven't got the depth that they've had in the past in saying that. Um, you know, they're racing for uh, for 20,000 in the Trotters Green Mile. And, and the best horse in it is uh, Maradiros. Um, he is a grass track specialist. Get this, Ricardo. He's had 10 starts on the grass for eight wins. So he loves it when he gets on the green surface. And uh, John Dunn will be doing the driving for Robert and his wife, uh, Jenna, the, his father, and, of course, uh, his wife now training in partnership for the last couple of seasons. So he's flip of the coin. He's $2. But for most people, Ricardo, he'll, he'll just line up and win that. And I think, I think he will. Uh, the Methan score, uh, four square green mile, a little bit more difficult. Tricky sort of a race, plenty of chances. Uh, Celtic Spirit's been excellent in his two runs but he steps well up in grade for this uh, he's come up a $3.50 favourite for that race uh, I give Coravelli Star a good chance Milus loves the Milus been placed in all three runs over the short course will definitely press forward should be somewhere near the speed 6.50 Regan Todd and Cherie Tomlinson combined so yeah I reckon Matadiros into Coravelli Star you could probably even go win Matadiros Top three Coravelli Star and still get sort of four fifty five dollars for uh, for your dollar. So yeah, that might be the way that I go. Yeah, it's all about gluing them together and getting some value, right? Absolutely, that's that's the way. And and you know, going back to tonight, uh, Darling Me's probably as good a near going around as we've got at the moment. She's two dollars twenty, and the Cup winner a dollar fifty five. Copy that. So you know, you're talking about three dollars thirty for your dollar for two of the best horses in the land. So that's probably not a, a bad way to play it either. I mentioned the Inter-Dominion before. We've got uh, the Australasian Young Drivers' Championship going on at the moment, and uh, Kiwi Sam Thornley leads the way there. So uh, he's got two drives today at Bendigo and then one on grand final night out of Melton. So we've got a great record in that series. Ricardo and Sarah O'Reilly's driving it along with Crystal Hackett. Sarah won the last Australasian Young Drivers pre-COVID back in 2019. So, uh, um, yeah, we wish the three of them all the very best over the last couple of days. But uh, Sam's certainly in in a pretty good spot to to go close to winning that series and continue on that legacy. Yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic, mate. And uh, you you were obviously on air uh, as well on Sunday with uh, with Trot's Talk. I know that uh, Mick's away at the moment. So what what do you got happening there? He'll be making an appearance. I'll be getting him up nice and early, Ricardo. So from 11 o'clock, I want him to wrap up the Inter-Dominion from the night before. So uh, yeah, good luck with that. We both know how he likes to socialise, but we'll have a, we'll have a crack at that. Uh, we'll be able to wrap up that uh, Australasian Young Drivers. And uh, we'll also have a decent preview of the Methvin meeting on Sunday. You know, catch up with the key players. I see Brendan Hill's got a, a strong hand in his stable there on Sunday. John Dunn, I just talked about Matadiros. We'll have a, a chat to him about that, that horse and a, a few of his chances. And Sam Otley's driving really well at the moment, so uh, she's got a handful of drives there on Sunday. So we might uh, even tap into her knowledge and come up with uh, with some uh, ways to play Sunday. We normally catch up with Matt Pede and the bookmaker, try and squeeze a little bit of value out of him too. And, um, yeah, you can always win the $50 bonus bet 
Uh, I think the the passcode might be green, given we'll be on the greener surface there on Sunday. So that makes it pretty simple. But producer dude Robbie, who I know is looking after you, he'll come in and select someone to win that $50 bet. And, um, yeah, we'll try and have a a good start to your Sunday and and get involved there at the the Mount Harding on the grass. Yeah, yeah. It sounds fantastic. I was going to say it might not be so much about getting Michael up early, but getting him before he goes to bed. That's a possibility, yeah. What will it be? About nine o'clock there in Melbourne. So, um, yeah, we'll just get him before, before he has to lie down. I'm liking the way you're thinking, Ricardo. Good stuff, Greg, mate. Have a great weekend. Uh, good luck on the punt. And uh, have a great show on Sunday too, eh? Appreciate it, Ricardo. All the very best to the punters out there. Do bet responsibly. We'd like you to do that. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Greg O'Connor with us uh, talking harness racing. And, uh, of course, a Trots Talk is on from 11 o'clock here on SENZ on Sunday morning. All the harness racing action from across New Zealand. And as you heard, uh, Greg's going to have Mick on uh, talking into Doms out of Melbourne as well. Live the dream. Get involved in harness racing today. NZ Harness Racing. Visit hrnz.co.nz. This is SENZ. It is the mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Bryant, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Staff's in the house. How are you, Staff? Oh, I'm tremendous. Just had a McDonald's bagel feeling on top of the world. Oh, yes. All right. <laughs> I'm hungry, man. I am Hank Marvin at the moment. I've left you some out there. Oh, have you? That's good of you, mate. Leap in. Uh, much, much appreciated. Uh, now, you got Jeremy Paul on the show for the last time um, this year, today. So, great opportunity for people to, to jump on the text, double eight, double three, and send through questions yeah, for, for him. We will collect them. We're getting them on earlier, too, at two o'clock. We get some really weird questions. <clears throat> I remember, I think it was Brad asked him, what's, uh, what's your go to spread on toast? <laughs> we'll take any questions, you know, any questions. What was his answer? He says, I don't eat much toast because he's gluten free now. Oh, I see. He keeps gluten out of the house because his wife's very gluten intolerant so he just doesn't have any in the house so. ah right yeah, yeah. interesting yeah, it is. he's it an is. interesting character Jeremy Paul so yeah any questions for him double eight double three yeah and what else have you got mate we've got about 30 seconds left so before midday madness what else have you got coming up on the show uh, we've got Ben O'Keefe who's the referee of the year we've got Brooke McDonald a Kiwi Downhill Mountain Bike who's going to judge Flugtag and we've got Dan Ripley Daily Mail football writer previewing the quarterfinals wow lots on with staff make sure you keep it locked here on SENZ it is midday madness after uh, midday Funnily, how that works with the latest in news and sport. Uh, we'll get that away and then uh, staff will be amongst it. Remember to get in your questions for Jeremy Paul. Last opportunity in 2002, double eight, double three.